sing me a song that is not by Ray Parker Jr. that makes you think of ghosts. Hmm. Hmm. Oh my god, there's so many songs about ghosts. Come on. I know I've gotta know one of them. Uh I've even got one in mind that if you guess it, you will get a hundred and fifty points. Man. Wow, I am drawing an absolute blank. Uh, damn it! And this is not a hard one. Do you need? I, I do you just nothing, need to nothing, sing a Ray Parker Jr. song, Justin? <laughs> I am drawing. A is that the only blank. way you'll be able to make it through this segment? Is if you sing a Ray Parker Jr. song? <laughs> Parker song. Ray Parker Jr. Ray Parker Jr. My bad. <laughs> um, man. Part of me is thinking Unchained Melody from the movie Ghost, but there's no words really to that. Oh yeah, there is. Is there? I don't even remember. Um, hold on. Give me a second. I'm trying to think. Because it's one of those where you know there's songs about it and you just can't think of a specific one in the moment. Um, um, yeah, no, I, I can't think of anything. I'm going to have to take the minus. Oh, you're going to take the minus two. You're not even going to take the net zero, man. Well, just so you guys know, the 150-point bonus song was the song Little Ghost by the White Stripes off their album Get Mm. Behind Me, Satan. Fucking love that song. It's fantastic. I just knew you guys wouldn't say that, so. You know who would have gotten that song? Devin. Yep. Because me and Devin have talked about that song before. I don't know if he would have gotten it, but he would, like, at least when I said it, he'd go, oh, fuck, that song, yeah. Because we have talked about that song, and it's a fucking fantastic song. So. Man, I'm really disappointed in you guys. Just nothing. Didn't even, 
Didn't even bring up the song from the little girl that did uh, the Ghostbusters Afterlife. That song has the word. I couldn't remember that song. Yeah. Something about a haunted house, but I couldn't remember the song. Yeah. It's a song in the end credits, man. You guys, you guys, you could have even called my bluff and sang the Ghostbusters theme song and argued that since it's mostly ripped off of a, a Huey Lewis song, that you can't technically say Ray Parker Jr. wrote it. You could have, you could have loopholed me like that. I, I just don't think you have the the depth of Ghostbusters knowledge that I do to know that part. <laughs> well, no one's disputing that. I don't know if anybody does. Yeah. I know a lot about these movies. It's kind of sad how much I know about these movies. Let's get into these movies. I kind of wish when I hit the sound pad, it would play the theme song of the Ghostbusters, but that's all <laughs> illegal and shit, so here's our song. <laughs> Hey, Sin fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. I'm Sterling, and as always, I'm joined by Heather and Justin. And today, we're kind of doing a like a multiplex of of movies in this episode. We're we're going to just be talking about Ghostbusters. We're going to talk about our our life and relationship and everything and whatnot with the Ghostbusters, and then we will go into our normal breakdown of the new 2021 uh, Ghostbusters movie, Ghostbusters Afterlife. We will talk about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between with that movie. We will go Ghostbusters, then we will go uh, spoiler-free Ghostbusters Afterlife recommendations and scores, and then into our more spoiler-centric section. There will be spoilers for Ghostbusters 1 and 2 and the 2016 Ghostbusters during our little discussion of Ghostbusters. So, if you haven't seen those, what the fuck are you doing with your life? Get on that shit and then come back to this because there's no point in listening to anything in this episode if you haven't watched Ghostbusters at all. There's just nothing to do with anything else. Except I do have a question to pose for everybody that's not Ghostbusters related at the very end. It's surprise everybody. Anyway, um Ghostbusters. Uh like I said, I'm 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 the biggest Ghostbusters fan of anybody I know. I won't say in the universe, even though I believe that. Uh, but at least of, of no, people I, would I know, that. I am I am the, the biggest Ghostbusters fan I know. I've I've talked about it before, but the first two Ghostbusters I've easily seen them. I would easily say a thousand times each, just a thousand. I mean, there are days I've watched them a couple of times each, just because I could. Um, I mean, I was I was obsessed with Ghostbusters as a kid. I had a Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man bank, like piggy bank. I had like one of those like toy proton packs. I had a toy trap, action figures. I brushed my teeth with for years for with Slimer toothpaste. <laughs> I mean, 
that's probably what led to a few cavities as a kid was the fact that I brushed my teeth exclusively with Slimer toothpaste. Um, you don't have a tattoo of Ghostbusters, right? I don't, but I have my ideas for them. They are actually... Okay. I've got two that are going to cover up the the rest of my lower arms. So I've already got a plan for those. Uh, okay. But... Yeah, no, that was the high C ecto cooler. Fucking loved that shit. I mean, you know, whether it was the, the animated series with the real Ghostbusters or when it changed his name to Slimer and the real Ghostbusters, or even later when they went extreme with the extreme Ghostbusters. I've seen it all. I've seen almost every single thing you could with Ghostbusters. I even had the Ghostbusters 2 Game Boy game back in the day. Most people don't know there was a Ghostbusters 2 Game Boy game. Love the fuck out of that. I had... I mean, I've played, I think, almost every iteration of a Ghostbusters video game, including the Ghostbusters on Sega Master System back in the day. Hmm. I just have been addicted to Ghostbusters my entire life. I, I mean, I love the Ghostbusters so much that when you actually break down what the original, the, the, the first Ghostbusters movie is, is there's lots of um, pro-Ronald Reagan propaganda in the movie. And I still love the movie. That's how much I love Ghostbusters, is I'm willing to overlook <laughs> pro-Reagan uh, propaganda for that movie. Um. I mean, we can go into more depth with it because these are we're, we're and one reason why we're kind of combining these into this is because both Ghostbusters one and two are in my essentials list, like separately. There's Ghostbusters one and Ghostbusters two in my list of my twenty essential movies. So I kind of figured we'd kind of roll them into this and just talk, you know, talk shop with some Ghostbusters and stuff before we go into this uh, afterlife movie. So that's a very in general breakdown of my Ghostbustersness, without going into the movies or anything like that. Uh, Heather, what is your relationship with Ghostbusters? Um, it was definitely a movie that I watched a lot as a kid with my brother growing up. Uh, we had the VHSs, of course. Um, but oddly enough, and maybe not odd to you, Sterling, because we know your love for Ghostbusters too. But I think I actually watched the second Ghostbusters more than the first one. <laughs> and I don't even know why, but for whatever reason, more of the scenes and uh, parts of the movie from the second one are stuck in my mind more than the first one. Um, but yeah, no, we, I mean, we watched it a lot. Like, yeah, as kids, we watched it all the time. And um, yeah, I think I had a couple of toys that were Ghostbusters related. But I don't think I'm nearly on the level as you are with the Ghostbusters love. But I was always a fan. I, I always liked it. Like, it was always just one of those, you know, like, enjoyable things when you're a kid. Like, um, yeah. So, I, I thought it was, um, the, the franchise was good. I liked the movies. I wouldn't say that I watched them a thousand times each, probably. But, uh, yeah, I, I I do remember enjoying them a lot as a kid. Like, there was... I want to say there was Ghostbusters and then there was um, 
the Batman movies, uh, those were the two like main movies that were recorded on a VHS that you could just go and watch anytime you wanted for, for my house. So <laughs> they were definitely on rotation at my house for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I enjoyed them. I thought they were good. Um, I think I, at one point, I don't know if did McDonald's ever sell toys for Ghostbusters. I feel like they did at one point. Maybe I'm wrong, but there was a point when like Slimer was such a huge deal, and there were toys about Slimer like everywhere. Um, but I can't remember if that was like related to something or if it was just. Both, Maybe my family. Both of the Ghostbusters movies predate those types of tie-ins with fast food restaurants. Um, okay. But Slimer just had a lot of toys just because of the animated show. So. Okay. Maybe it was the show. And and to be fair, I didn't really watch the animated show, just the movies. So maybe that's why I didn't realize. But but yeah, I always enjoyed them as a kid. Uh, they were, yeah, again, they were on rotation but, um, and they're very, they are very memorable, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I did enjoy them and they, they were ones that were in our list of regulars to put on the VHS. So yeah, I, I was a fan for sure. What about you, Justin? Uh, yeah, definitely not the fan that, um, that, that you are, but I've always kind of been a fan of it. You know, I was uh, growing up, you know, you couldn't help but know what Ghostbusters was. The, the, the movies at that time were just like iconic movies, you know, especially the first one. You know, the first one to me is just the one that's the most memorable, is the most iconic. Uh, it's funny because I guess people... Uh, had their favorite characters and stuff like that. But for me, it was always that car, man, the Ecto one. There's something about oh, man, that, that car, that, is so that, fucking car that, that car to me is like one of the most iconic vehicles, like in anything, you know what I mean? Like there are just those vehicles that you just remember and that's one of them, you know, like there's Herbie the Love Bug, and then there's like the Knight Rider uh, car, of course, the DeLorean from Back to the Future, and I don't know, what's another one like? I mean, you know, they're just vehicles, the, the Turbo Van, like, yeah the, yeah, the Batmobile definitely is on that list, and the Ecto-1 is another one of those vehicles. So I was just always enamored with that vehicle and the iconic noise. You know, it was a siren, but kind of like a squeaky kind of comedic, almost siren, you know? So to me, that car, you know, whenever I see that car, I just get all giddy when I see the car. A couple of times I've been to comic conventions and there was an Ecto-1 uh, replica car there, like a full-size, and I'm talking not like a toy, but like a full-size, like they had a caddy 
decked out to look exactly like it did in the Ghostbusters. And I just thought that was the coolest thing when I saw the Ecto-1. So for me, it was the car. It was never Slimer. It was never the Ghostbusters characters, though I always thought the protein, the, the proton packs were cool. But it was that car, man. Like, like that car has always just kind of been something that stood out in my mind. But yeah, I, I, I love um the the movies especially the 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 first one uh the the second one you know i thought it was cool it was a to me a respectable sequel um never i still have not seen the 2016 one Um, really i guess just i guess just because like so many people told me that it was terrible and it's the worst and have kind of told warned me and said don't watch it this that and the other i guess i've just heard so much bad stuff about it i I never got around to watching it and then this day came that we have this one and it's like man now i kind of wish i had seen it so i could compare uh all of them but unfortunately i haven't seen that one yet uh as far as like the cartoons and everything i do remember slimer and the real ghostbusters that that that's the cartoon that I remember, and I want to say there were several iterations of the animated cartoon, but that's the one that, that that stands out in my mind, was the one where Slimer was like a part of the team and like a central character, and I think, Heather, that's where all of the toys and everything like that comes from, because Slimer and the real Ghostbusters was a pretty popular cartoon. Um, okay. Uh, but, but I think that's where all that is kind of coming from. Uh, but yeah, but, but as far as like my, but I wouldn't call myself like an ultimate fan or anything like that. Ghostbusters is always kind of that franchise I always liked. I don't know if I could say loved, like, I think when it comes to you, Sterling, like Ghostbusters to you is kind of what Ninja Turtles is to me. I was all about that Ninja Turtle life. And this was kind of that one that was that I remembered. It was memorable. I always liked it, but I don't know if I had a love for it like I had for like Ninja Turtles or Batman or any of those things. I was kind or, you know, like or even or even if you want to go 80s, He-Man and G.I. Joe and all that stuff. I was more that kid than I was a Ghostbusters kid. But it's a franchise I've always respected. You know, I've always felt like it has iconic elements. And then when you become an adult, I think that, you know, there's like kid me and then there's like adult me going back and watching these movies. And I think when I was a kid, I was just enamored with the car, the fact that they were, the, you know, the the pro the proton packs and they're fighting ghosts and this that, and the other. But going back and revisiting and watching, especially like the first movie as an adult, I think I really appreciated the humor of it, how really it's almost kind of this, like the first movie is really just kind of one big joke, but not in a negative way, but just kind of like the way the story is structured, you know, like the, 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 like the reason why the Ghostbusters are even exist or have this business is because, you know, you kind of had some goofy scientists and one of them saw a marketing opportunity and was kind of being greedy and it just so happened they start this business but then all these other uh paranormal things start happening and they sort of kind of chance into this 
um, story and kind of become heroes and stuff like that. And that's kind of what the appeal of the first movie is. It's like, I, I really appreciate the joke that the first movie is. You know what I mean? And then you can also appreciate kind of like the adult humor and uh, and kind of the tone that the original Ghostbusters set, you know? And then I do, and, and as an adult, I do appreciate the characters more. You know, I appreciate what Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, Harold Ramis, you know, I appreciate them more now, I feel like as an adult and what they brought to it as characters, probably more than I did when I was a kid. So, but yeah, I I guess I would say overall, that is my relationship with the Ghostbusters franchise. Um, to comment on something you said, I think you and me are just pretty much flipped on Ninja Turtles and Ghostbusters. Like, yeah. I love the Ghostbusters, and I've always liked the Turtles. You know what I mean? Like, I had a mm-hmm. bunch of Ninja Turtles toys, watched the show, watched the movies, played the games, you know. But, like, I never really loved the Ninja Turtles. You know, I never yeah. ended up reading any of the original comics or anything like that till like way later and stuff like that. And then you realize it's way different than the fucking shit we grew yeah, up on. Yeah, way different. <laughs> you know, and all that stuff. But then, and also to comment on what you said, Heather, uh, so the toys, the earliest I see an example of the toys was 1987. Um, but once again, those were based on the cartoon. And those okay. were really lame toys back in the day because it was like a pencil with a ghost eraser and a ruler with the Ghostbusters on it and then some stickers. Like those were the types of things you would get. Then later in the 90s, they started doing some more toys, but that's still all based off that's mainly tying into the animated shows because that's Slimer and, you know, uh, mutated furniture ghosts and shit like that, which is more akin to what the animated series was doing. Uh, and with the animated series is, 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 um, with all that, it kind of, like, it was the real Ghostbusters is how it started. And there's a whole backstory behind that, too, with another property called the Ghostbusters and all kinds of shit. And, uh, and so then they chain, and then just because of toys and marketing and stuff like that, that's when it, they changed it. They didn't actually create a new show. They just, uh, like, it was one of the, you know, like I want to say it was the third season is when they started calling it Slimer and the real Ghostbusters just because Slimer was such a popular character. Slimer was in, so you know, before that, but it was just such a popular character. It was a toy machine, you know, everything about, especially because it's an 80s cartoon. So, of course, they make the entire show based around how they can do toys from it. I mean, that's why all the Ghostbusters in the animated show kind of drastically look different than their real life counterparts. That's why like uh you know Ray is like a redhead and Egon's blonde and stuff like that. They did that because otherwise mm-hmm. you would have three toys of white men with dark hair. And so that's not the best for <laughs> toys. So they drastically changed the way they looked. So you could just look at a toy from a distance and go Egon blonde hair. Ray red hair. Peter brown hair you know that was all about the toys you know and so that's where a lot of those aspects from it all all came in I mean and so yeah that's where a lot of that 
the history with some of that stuff goes. I mean, there's the interesting story just behind getting the name alone is just amazing to me. And there's, it's way too complicated to get in, into like in the podcast itself. There's YouTube videos and TV shows and all kinds of stuff like that. There's a thing on Netflix that's like a behind the scenes of Ghostbusters you can watch. Of It's a part of a TV series of this is how they made shit. It was like movies from the 80s. They do one on Ghostbusters and they explain the complicated mess that was getting the names or the name the Ghostbusters because of a property before it that were technically had that. Um, and they started to, uh, after the success of Ghostbusters because they also technically had the name they started making an animated show in the eighties also. And they have like a big gorilla in their show and shit like that. And so that's why they had to name the animated show for this, the real ghostbusters just to be petty as fuck. Um, you know, and I always wondered why it was called that. Okay. It's because the other ghostbusters property, even though they sold the rights to the name for the movie, they didn't sell the rights for a TV show. So they started, they're like, well, fuck it. We're going to make a Ghostbusters cartoon, you know? And that's when they were like, well, we want to make a cartoon too. So it's the real Ghostbusters. Yep. It's all petty. <laughs> it's all petty bullshit. Um, I mean, and that's the, the sad thing about all this stuff is like the history of the Ghostbusters is filled with random pettiness. I mean, uh, the only reason why Bill Murray's in it is because he as part of his contract for this is they were going to allow him to make another movie. That was like his passion project. And then he made it and it was bad. It's a remake of some other fucking movie too. And it was not good. And so, you know, that type of stuff, uh, you know, and then after that, because it failed so bad and it was like his passion project, he stopped acting for a while, a little bit in the late eighties. And, he came back to do Ghostbusters 2, and part of the reason why he had to come back is the head of the studio at the time was like straight up called him out and said, you know, he's you know, he's got no problem making all this money being an actor, but he doesn't want to do anything to give back as an actor to like his art and craft and all that shit. So there was all this pettiness with that. You know, the the entire script of Ghostbusters 2, when they signed on to do it, was one script, and then when they came to film it, it was a completely different script. A um, lot of studio interference with the second movie. A lot of studio interference. And it's because you watch the first Ghostbusters, it's not a, necessarily a kid's movie. Yeah, you know? not at all. <laughs> but this was the 80s, so they took a lot of shit that wasn't technically kid shit and made it kid shit. You know? And it became a wildly successful animated show. I mean, the animated show, if I'm remembering correctly, started in 1986. And so when there was 1989 and they're going in to do Ghostbusters 2, they had to make it kid-friendly. That's why they don't smoke in the second movie. That's something that like a lot of people don't even notice. No, they don't even smoke in the second movie. They smoke all the time in the first movie. They don't even smoke in the second movie. You see Ray with a cigar whenever they're spraying uh, the slime all over the, the Empire State Building, but that's it. It's not even lit. He just has a cigar in his mouth. Um, you know, that's why they got rid of a lot of the stuff that they that they kind of had in the first movie. That's why there wasn't as many like sex jokes or, you know, just shit in general. Um, I mean, I'm one of those things that I had my own weird Mandela effect when it came to the Ghostbusters because 
my entire life, I mean, most of my life, with the exception of like four years of my life, I suppose, I've always thought everybody loved Ghostbusters too. I just thought that. I just thought that was a fact. Everybody loved Ghostbusters and everybody loved Ghostbusters too. And once it was like eight or nine years ago, I found out that people didn't like Ghostbusters too. <laughs> like it was considered bad. And I'm just like, but, but what do you mean? It's fantastic. Still love that movie. And I think one of the reasons why it's not viewed as fondly is if you truly watch Ghostbusters 2, while it is more family-friendly with a lot of the stuff, I think it actually has more horror elements in it than the original one does. I mean, you've got that scene with all the heads on the spikes and the ghost train and all that stuff. Just the, the idea of Vigo itself is a more of a horror element. Yeah. You've got a baby kidnapping, which is more on the horror side than it is comedy. You've even like the, the blob and the, the ooze, you know, coming from the sewer and like taking over a bathtub to steal a baby and stuff like that. It's got more horror in it. And I think that that's just not what people want with this franchise. People don't necessarily want horror. They want, jokes and ghosts <laughs> that's what people in babylonian gods you know that's what people want with this franchise you know i mean uh like just little trivia and stuff like that when it comes to stuff uh if you uh if you watch the first ghostbusters movie and there's the the very famous scene where ray has a dream that he gets a blowjob from a ghost um, if you also listen to the lyrics of the Ghostbusters theme song, that song's about fucking. It's not really about ghostbusting. That song's about fucking. Because that's why it's busted makes me feel good. Yeah, he's talking about busting nuts. Because like he's talking about how the girls like it and all this stuff. Yeah, it's about fucking. It's not about ghostbusting. Um, but they're playing the theme song during that montage in which that dream sequence happens. And in the song, when he starts getting the blowjob, the line... Bustin' makes me feel good is what is supposed to play there. They actually cut out that part of the vocals of the song because of that. Because of the overt, it's a blowjob, and you know, the song saying Bustin' makes me feel good. They actually cut that part out during that time, and I think that's very funny. Um, John Candy was originally supposed to be in this movie. Uh, Louis Tully, the Rick Moranis character, was originally supposed to be played by John Candy. And uh, Eddie Murphy. Oh. Uh, Winston was originally written for Eddie Murphy. Uh, but Eddie Murphy couldn't do it or didn't want to do it or whatever. You know, this was the eight, this is right around the time he started getting big. So, you know, that's whatever it is. And that's when they got Ernie Hudson. But then I feel bad for Ernie Hudson because I didn't realize this for years. They actually ended up cutting out the Winston character for half the movie because of that. Because it wasn't a big name character anymore. Because it wasn't Eddie Murphy playing Winston. They cut out his movie, his character from half the movie. And that's, and like, I never wow. noticed it as a kid. And it's mainly because Winston has been my favorite Ghostbuster. I've always loved Winston because. There was something about his take no shit attitude. Like, you know, he he was the straight man. He was the, the blue collar guy, you know? And I, I just fucking connected with that character as a kid. And I've always loved it. 
And so that's why it was like a weird awakening when I found out that they fucked over Ernie Hudson like that. Because like in my head, he was my favorite. You know what I mean? So I'm like, what do you mean they like cut his character? He's my favorite character. He's he's like just in my head, like I'm just superimposing his importance over the entire movie just because of how much I liked the character. But then if you go back and look at it now, you're like, no, fuck, they did. He just shows up halfway through the movie and that's it. Yeah, he just comes in halfway. Yep. But I just, I loved, I, I just loved that character. And I think it's it's the scene with the mayor in the first movie where he's like, ever since I've been with these guys, I've seen shit that'll turn you white. And as a kid, <laughs> I didn't understand what he was saying. He's talking about pale because you're scared. And I thought it was just a funny joke because he was a small little white man. So I didn't really get the joke, but I made it a different joke in my head. (laughs) And I think that that's one of the things that connected me with Winston. Because I was like, ha, he's calling him a little white man. And I just thought it was a funny joke. And I was completely wrong on the joke. But I loved it. Like, uh... And then it's even in the second movie, I fucking loved Winston. I love, I love the fact that Winston's the one character that is smart enough to not get arrested like everyone else does. <laughs> like everyone else gets arrested. He's the one person smart enough to not go get arrested. Like you're legit, Winston. I love you. <laughs> like when I was a kid, when I first saw Ghostbusters 2, because you know, you're a little kid and you don't understand things. I actually didn't think it was the same guy that played Winston in the first movie. All because Ernie Hudson shaved his mustache. <laughs> like, Uh-oh. I had to be explained that it's the same person. It's just, he had a mustache and he got rid of it. I'm just like, no, how can you say they're the same? Look, one has a mustache, one doesn't. That's obviously <laughs> two different people. Maybe that's one reason why I won't cut my mustache. Because if I cut my mustache, I'm afraid people won't recognize me if I don't have a mustache. Um, but yeah, like there's like little things like that that are just all throughout Ghostbusters. Like I said, uh, if you go back and look at it, this the first Ghostbusters movie is insanely pro Ronald Reagan and Reaganomics, and and I know it doesn't stand out completely, but if you look at it. One of the big things about Ronald Reagan's pre- presidency was deregulation and the worry of what governmental agencies and their regulations would do to small businesses. And that's why it's the EPA, this big federal government agency, is attacking this small ghostbusting business in New York. Just attacking them mm. and causing all kinds of problems. And if you just got rid of the regulation, this business would be able to thrive. There'd be no issues. The ghosts wouldn't have gotten out into the containment field. But no, it's government regulations that caused all that. And that's shit you don't see as a kid. But yeah, like weirdly enough, like Dan Aykroyd is all about that fucking Reaganomic shit. And we'll get into that in this next one too when we talk about afterlife. But yeah, that was one of the big themes of Ghostbusters was the fear of government regulation by having the Environmental Protection Agency. Notice how he's going after them that like, oh no, there's potential damage to the environment. We're going to shut you down. That's not how it works. 
they can't just go shut you down because they think you might be damaging the environment. That's not how the EPA <laughs> operates, you know. But that was the fear. That was the fear mongering of just the idea that there was government agencies that could do something like that. And this movie plays into that propaganda completely. And how if you just, you know, if you're pro-Reagan and you do all this stuff, you know, you look out for the small businesses. These evil federal government corporate, like, you know, entities want to destroy. Yeah, and it's just mm-hmm. like that you don't think about as a kid. I mean, I didn't think about that till well later in my life. But like I said, once again, this is my this is how much I love the Ghostbusters. I'm I'm not overlooking the Reagan propaganda. I'm not excusing it. I just accept that it's there and that they're wrong. But I still like the story. Because the the Walter Peck is a great villain. I love Walter Peck as a villain in this movie. You know, it's just like in my head, he's not with the EPA. He's just like, you know, with the mayor's office or some shit. That's what I do in my head to get around the Reaganist, like Reaganism of the movie. You know, but he's a great fucking villain in this movie. And I feel bad for it, too, because he fucking hated being in this movie afterwards. Not while doing it. He hated being the guy that fucking people would come up to in the street Going, hey, you're the bad guy from Ghostbusters. Why are you trying to ruin the Ghostbusters? Like that type of shit. He hated that for so long because that's all people would come up to to him and say. You know, he's like an accomplished actor and that's all people can remember of him is you were the bad guy in Ghostbusters. But like I said, I still, he's a fucking great villain. I love him as a villain. I think he's fantastic. I think his his villainous dynamic with all the individual Ghostbusters is amazing. Like, I love that scene when he first shows up talking to Venkman. You know? He sounds like he's having a pleasant chat. And then he just makes that sly comment of why he's really there. And then Venkman's like, well, fuck you. Go get a warrant. You know? And he's like, all right, I'll be back with one. You know? And then he comes back with one. And then, they, you know, everything starts again and all this shit. And then they get to the mayor's office and it's more shit. Like, fuck, I love this movie. Like, just the dynamics with it. And he's not physically imposing. He's nothing like that. He's just the human villain of the movie. He's not, you know, the ultimate villain of the movie. He's just the human counterpart. And in ways, he does more damage than fucking Gozer does. Because he fucking lets all the ghosts out. Yep. (laughs) That was on him. Yeah. Oh, and that's a fucking amazing scene, too. One of those ghosters come out and they're doing that song, It's Magic. Oh, that's a fucking great scene. Yeah, that is a good scene. And everything's going haywire and you're seeing all these different ghosts. That was very cool. That's something very underrated, I think, about the Ghostbusters movie is the music. I love the fucking music of these movies. Um, Even in the second one where... They start, I feel like they started the trend, but remember in the late 80s, early 90s, with movies like this, or like Ghostbusters 2, they had to have a rap song that explains the entire plot of the movie. (laughs) Yeah, Bobby Brown does that for Ghostbusters 2. You know, they did it for uh, 
they did it for the Adams family. You know, the Adams family rap is just the plot of the movie in rap form. You know, they just, I feel like this started the trend of that. Of just telling the movie this plot via rap. Which is funny because it plays earlier in the movie. So it's like telling you technically shit you're going to get to. But I still love it. And I, I mean, I love, one of the things I love about Ghostbusters 2 is that courtroom scene. I fucking love it. It has one of my favorite jokes of all time in movie history. Uh, when they're turning on the proton packs in the courtroom and, you know, Vankman starts and he says, Doe, and then Ray does and he goes, Ray. And I like it because Ray's saying his name, so he's extra happy about it. And then Egon goes, Egon. And they just look at him like, you sly son of a bitch. And Egon just gives that smirk <laughs> yeah. of, yeah, I did it. I fucking love that. It's fucking glorious to me. Yeah, that's pretty good. Like, to this day, I know exactly when it's coming. And I watch that scene, I will chuckle. I mean, I know it's a comedy that would probably want you to laugh, but like I said, I've seen these movies over a thousand times. You can't really get a laugh out of me at this point. But, you know, yeah, chuckle still. I think that's good. When you know a joke's coming and you're anticipating it and you still chuckle at it, that means it's a good joke. And uh, also, going back to iconic things, I mean, yeah, Slimer's iconic, and that's mainly because of the cartoon, but... That's Stay Puff Marshmallow, uh, Stay Puff Marshmallow Man too. Oh, that's iconic as fuck. Oh yeah, definitely. I think detrimentally so too, as we'll talk about again later. Um, but yeah, these are essential movies to me. I think that they are all time classics. Hate on me all you want about Ghostbusters two, whatever, but it's fucking great. Fuck everybody else. They're all wrong. But I mean, either way, you'd have to give me that the first Ghostbusters movie is a fucking iconic movie. Like, it's an all-time movie. That's just kind of like where its role is. And I, I and I think that a lot of people would more or less agree with that. Like, especially the first Ghostbusters. It's just so much about it is memorable. And has memorable yeah. scenes and I mean fuck the Ghostbusters theme song is just an all time banger also fuck I love that song yep. you know and and as you said Justin fucking Ecto 1 like it's utterly iconic and I love the fact that you did the siren too because that was one thing I was always confused about is like why could they use a siren isn't that illegal <laughs> to, to like <laughs> imitate an emergency vehicle and they've got all the lights in the world. They've got blue, orange, green, red, just all lights in the world on their car, too. But I think that that's one of the things that makes it so spectacular. As you hear that siren for that car, and I don't know what it, if that was meant to be like something else, or if there was another vehicle that uses that type of siren or whatever, you hear that, you automatically think Ghostbusters. Yep. You don't think of you anything know what that else. Is. Yeah, you think of Ecto-1 going down the street to bust some fucking ghosts. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I love it. Oh, yeah, and we do have to at least mention that Peter Venkman is just an utter creep in the movie, and you don't really notice that as a kid either. He's got fucking sedatives, and he's just constantly trying to fuck. Constantly. Yeah. Like, Constantly. creepily so. Creepily so. 
I know we're looking at it now through like a 2021 lens, but I think even looking at it through like a 2020, like a 2004 lens, it's kind of creepy. <laughs> You're just like, oh, yeah, like with it him up. and the student. Yeah, yeah, like with him and the student. Yeah, we well, trying to fuck the student. And, yeah. And it's funny because what he's saying, oh, and that's another thing about that scene that I didn't realize until I was older. Other than, yeah, he, him trying to fuck the student, I didn't realize that. But that technically what he's saying he's trying to do, you know, a study about the negative impact or the impact of negative reinforcement on ESP abilities, he's actually proving in the scene. If you realize the more he starts shocking that guy, he ends up like getting it way wrong. Then he's like one card off because you know how Vankman never shows the girl's card. So the next card yeah. that the guy guesses, he actually guessed the card that the girl just had. That was the actual card that Vankman was holding up. And then he gets shocked again because he says he's wrong. The third card he gets right. So Vankman's trying to prove the effects of negative reinforcement on ESP. He's doing it. And doesn't yeah. even notice he's doing it because he's just trying to get his, like, he's just trying to fuck. Yeah. Like, I think that that is such an ingenious way of doing that scene that you like, you won't notice it right off the bat. That is something you notice after multiple rewatches. That's just that subtlety with that scene. Yeah, that that's a good call, because, yeah, that the kid after that reinforcement, he does. You're right. He does get that final card, which I think was like wavy lines yep. or something. He says a couple he of wavy lines. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's fucking crazy. Like that that see I mean don't don't feel bad anybody if you didn't notice that. I probably didn't notice that till like rewatch six hundred. So don't feel bad. It just takes a lot of watches. Just watch a lot of Ghostbusters, you'll see shit. Yeah. Actually if you watch any movie you'll start like, noticing shit. That's true. I noticed something that I didn't notice after my latest rewatch of it. Like, uh, whenever Sigourney Weaver, uh, puts down her groceries and, you know, the eggs start cooking on the table or whatever, there's a bag of stay puffed marshmallows yeah, yeah. <laughs> next to the eggs. Yeah. So like they totally foreshadowed that. Like, yeah, there was different things like that yeah see it's funny things like that like there are some there are things probably about ghostbusters that i've just known for a while that i don't know other people don't know because i'm just I, like i'm like oh yeah everybody knows that like i i think i found out that pe- other people didn't realize that until i saw like a video like two or three years ago when they were like you know like people's favorite easter eggs in a movie and somebody was talking about that and like the reaction was like oh my god i didn't know that and i'm like Oh, people don't know that. Oh, like it just didn't click. That's not something people re- realized. Uh, one thing I've, I found out funny that a lot of people outside of America thought Stay Puffed Marshmallows were a real thing, but just in America. Like they just didn't realize it wasn't <laughs> a real thing just because of how they do it in the movie. Like the way the movie presents itself is the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man is a beloved mascot for marshmallows. You know? It so like people in like Australia and Britain and stuff like that don't realize 
that when they're watching that movie, that that's a completely made up product. Until like now, like now people know that, but like back in the eighties and stuff like that, people thought it was a real thing. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. And it makes sense when you rewatch the movie that that's how it kind of comes across. So, um, you guys got any more thoughts about uh, Ghostbusters in general? Uh, I mean, I, I guess, Heather, did you ever see the 2016 Ghostbusters? I did, yeah. Um, oh, do you want to talk about that real quick? I mean, I've got something I can say about it real quick. We don't have to go crazy Yeah, I mean, into it. And, and you're talking about the 2016 one is the, the, the all-female all reboot yeah. that they did. Yeah. So... To be honest, like, I didn't not like it. I thought it was, like, it wasn't, of course, on the level of the original Ghostbusters or anything like that. But to kind of bring it into, like, this new generation and sort of make it to where, you know, girls, young girls even, were were more like, oh, I want to be a Ghostbuster. Like, I think that's really cool that they did that. Um, I actually thought it was kind of entertaining. Like, I wouldn't say it's anything on near the level of, the original Ghostbusters, but for what it was, I I enjoyed it. You know, it was fine. It was there. There were some moments. It wasn't, um, you know, like the funniest thing I've ever seen. But they they did have some moments in it that I did enjoy. Um, and just in general, I I like the fact that they were willing to take that risk because it is risky when you do a reboot of such a classic. And of course, they didn't really live up to the potential that it could have been but again it's a really tall order in the first place but um i think chris hemsworth was fantastic in it um but i I think i i liked the chemistry and the dynamics of the the leads all the ladies in it um it was fine you know it, it was decently funny it had some really funny moments in it and it was a it was an okay watch you know i think for for what they could do with it it was kind of um I wouldn't say it's the best they could do, but it was, they, they did, it could have definitely been worse considering the tall order that it was doing. So yeah, it was, it was fine. Yeah. My, my biggest issue with that movie, and I think I was a little bit more negative to it when I first watched it, but it's a fine movie. Like it's perfectly fine. Where my disconnect with that movie happens is with the humor the style of humor they go for in that movie with that cast isn't something I typically find funny in general in movies. So with that element of it, I just don't connect with the movie because I don't connect with the humor. Um, and I do think mm-hmm. the plot in that movie, uh, while it's supposed to be its own universe and all this other stuff, I feel like it, still relies a little bit too much on a week and a nod back to the original Ghostbusters a little too much to like really kind of, you know, be its own movie. I think that they should have just said, fuck all that and just been more defined in there. We want to be a different movie. And so like those elements I don't like, but I, I'm not going to hate on anybody that does like it because if you do connect with that type of humor, if you do think that that like it's, it's, kind of more of a modern SNL type of humor. And I'm not into that. I don't really find that all too funny that often. So if you are somebody that connects with that, I could see you connecting with this movie very easily and enjoying it way more than I did. And that's 
I don't think unreasonable or un, like unfounded. It's just, you know, like I said, that style of humor I can't connect with. So any movie that does something like that, I just don't really enjoy. Like it's meant to be. Because yeah. if you're having that type of humor, you're obviously trying to do a comedy, you know. And so with that, it's just, that's where its biggest downfall was with me. I think the cast is fine. I thought Leslie Jones in it was utterly fantastic. And it kind of made me hate SNL more because I'm like, anytime I saw (laughs) Leslie Jones on SNL, I didn't really think she was that funny. But then I saw her in Ghostbusters and I was like, she's fucking fantastic. Fuck you, SNL. You just don't know how to use her. You suck. (laughs) That was my thoughts about it. Because I'm like, no, Leslie Jones is the greatest. They just suck at using her. So, (laughs) um, yeah. And I, I definitely can see that too, because, um, there, I, I mean, and Kate McKinnon is kind of an acquired taste as far as humor goes. I think there are some things that she does that she, she's really in her lane with, like when she does impressions and stuff like that on SNL. Um, but I can see that she's a very acquired taste in just her normal humor. Like when she's not doing impressions and she's just doing her, being herself with her humor, it is different and it is acquired. But um, I, I've always liked Melissa McCarthy, um, I, I, which is weird because she has a sense of humor in her movies sometimes that I'm not a huge fan of. Um, but I guess in a sense, what you would call like kind of like that gross out humor type of thing <laughs> that she does in a lot of her movies. But I do think in general, as a person, she's very funny. Like you see her in interviews and you see her in things like that. And she's actually very funny, but honestly, Chris Hemsworth might've been one of the funniest parts of it. And I think it was partially because it was just unexpected to see him in that type of role uh, where he's just kind of like this idiot, you know, side character that turns into the bad guy because of being, possessed by a ghost you know like but it was just the way he did it was very funny and a little bit subtle with some of it and yeah it, it was just yeah i i do understand why it's not everybody's taste and again like i did find parts of it funny but i do totally get what you mean about like if that's not your style of humor because there were only parts of it that were my style but the parts that were i was like okay this is good you know but they probably could have leaned into more of that. Um, they they relied too much on certain people to do their standard, do this bit because people love it type of thing. And they could have avoided that and it probably would have been better, honestly. Yeah, this technically was like, at least in America, this was the introduction to uh, funny Chris, uh, Chris Hemsworth. Like, we hadn't mm-hmm. really seen him in that. So this was kind of the introduction to that. Um, anyway, let's go into, uh, you guys ready to do this Ghostbusters Afterlife? Yep. Yeah. All right, here's a little sound effect for everybody. All right. So once again, like I said before, we're going to go into Ghostbusters Afterlife, Afterlife, what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between. We will go spoiler-free, recommendations and scores, and then into a more spoiler-centric section. Start us off, Justin. What are your spoiler-free thoughts about Ghostbusters Afterlife? Cool, cool. So, uh, yeah, um, I think um, just overall, uh, I think that it was, I don't know, I thought it was all right. I like this. I thought it was okay. 
Um, you know, solid movie. Probably more along the lines of good, not great. Uh, definitely has its flaws. Um, there's definitely a lot of nostalgia and nostalgic parts just kind of dedicated to paying homage to the original Ghostbusters, which seems to be that's what this kind of focused on. And after hearing you guys talk about the 2016 one about how it was kind of uh, more focused on kind of giving um, that that Ghostbusters one sort of paying homage to that. I, I mean, it seems like this film had kind of a similar thing in mind because it's very much like that um, in, in, in a lot of ways, especially like in the third act. Uh, I guess I got more or less uh, Stranger Things vibes with this. Like, it's almost like it was like a mix of Stranger Things and the first Ghostbusters. That's sort of kind of the the vibes that mm-hmm. I felt. So the yeah. tone, so the tone takes a shift, I feel like, that is a little uneven. I don't know if it, I think it helped the nostalgia, but I don't know if it helped the movie. Uh, I guess that's a way to put it. I don't know. I guess I'll just, as we dissect it, maybe I'll feel differently about that. But that was just kind of knee jerk how I felt about it. Um, the, the, the cast I thought was, was very good, especially, uh, McKenna Grace as Phoebe. Yeah. She was great in this. Like, great dare i say that this is probably one of the better like as far as like young actor performances i've seen like in a while just as far as how she kind of captured the the essence of what you would think like the granddaughter of the famous ghostbuster like i think that she kind of captured the essence of that and they're they're very uh specific beats of her like you you could kind of see and feel the 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 egon in the character but she was very much her own character it's not like this is just a female egon i don't want to give people that impression because it's not i think that there was enough of the 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 that character spirit in her but at the same time she was very much her own character uh i liked her you know, I like the super smart um, young girl, kind of socially awkward, kind of a loner and everything like that. So I like the journey that that character went on. Uh, Paul Rudd is just, I mean, I mean, I guess he's just Paul Rudd in this movie. But, you know, who doesn't like Paul Rudd? I mean, at this point, you know, he's... <laughs> I think I think he's just kind of one of those people where when I found out he was casted in this, I smiled. I was like, you know what? If I was going to if I was going to cast anybody, you know, the kind of humor he has and the kind of charm he has, he would fit kind of, I think, in this Ghostbusters universe franchise, so to speak. Like when I heard that he was going to be in it, I was like and when I saw the previews and saw him in it, I was like, yeah, He's a good fit for this. You, you know, I, I just felt like he was 
he would be somebody who I would definitely cast in something like this. And he delivers. He's charming. He's funny whenever he's in the movie. When he wasn't in the movie, I missed him. And when he is in the movie, he definitely elevates it and adds to it. Just his humor and his charm. He's good um, as Mr. Gruberson. So I liked him in this film. Uh, Finn Wolford, of course, um, and, you know, speaking of Stranger Things, you know, Finn Wolford, of course, is in this, which is probably half the reason why I got those vibes from it, because, you know, you do have a Stranger Things uh, actor in this. Uh, I liked him, too. Kind of wished he had a little more to do, but I, I did like the character. I think that he was a good brother for our main character phoebe so you know i like so overall i liked trevor you know i liked him at this um the last character i guess i'll talk about as a standout was uh logan kim as podcast uh didn't see him coming but again that's another character that i really <laughs> liked like him and uh uh mckenna grace are like my MVPs in this. I thought they were great together. I like their scenes together. And a lot of this movie is about discovering uh, what the Ghostbusters were and who they were and things like that and how these characters sort of relate to the legacy of the Ghostbusters. So I think that those two characters um, totally worked uh, in, in this movie. Um, and there are other characters in this where, you know, you don't get as much of them. They don't seem to have as much to do in the script, uh, but but they're all kind of appealing in their own way. So, you know, it's unfortunate that we couldn't give them more, but, you know, I get it. You know, you have to focus on a certain few characters. And so there were kind of these other characters that are there, They fit, but they kind of feel like placeholders. They kind of feel like people to get to certain plot points in the film you know so the entire cast isn't as strong but there are definitely some cast members and some characters that are definitely strong in this uh overall it was enjoyable i like i said i like the comedy overall in this i think that uh most of the nostalgia does work i think if you're a ghostbusters fan i think that especially when you get to the third act in the end i really think that the there are elements of that that work that, that will work for most people and most people that are fans of it if you appreciated the the first film i think that a lot of those scenes will definitely work for you um as a movie as a whole, I guess I, the in my head, the jury is still out on if all of it works, but I do think that most of it does. So ultimately in my, my head. So, yeah. So overall, I walked away and I, I overall, I was satisfied. I wasn't overjoyed. I wasn't like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. I wasn't like, oh, yeah, this was just everything I wanted in a Ghostbusters remake, reboot, kind of continuation, whatever you want to kind of call this. But I do think that there is enough differences here to where um, it, it, it kind of stands alone as its own film. And there's enough of the sentimentality, there's enough of the nostalgia and different things like that to where it gives you that um, Ghostbusters uh, feel. 
So all in all, you know, I think it's not it, it, it's too familiar to be like considered like, oh, yeah, this is like the next big classic. And it, it, it can't stand, of course, head and shoulders with the original. It's too much like it for that. But it is different enough to where I did enjoy watching it. So, yeah, I think that's overall where I landed with it. Uh, what about you, Heather? I will start out by saying that I think this movie sort of suffers from the same thing that Antlers did, where it was promoted so long ago, and I feel like people were looking forward to this movie for so long, and it kept getting delayed and pushed back on the release date, that when it finally came, you know, it, it almost feels like, in a sense, um, the the wait for it and the the anticipation of the movie kind of outweighs the movie itself in some ways, in my opinion. Not that I think it was a bad movie. I think I, for the most part, I was entertained by the movie. Um, a lot of things that Jason said, I, I would agree with. I think McKenna Grace is outstanding in this. I think she's the standout shining performance in this movie. She was amazing. I've always really thought she was super talented um, and very versatile in the roles that I've seen her do. I really thought she did a great job in this role and podcasts like their chemistry and their dynamic was really fun. Um, Finn Wolfhard was good. Um, I think that he's a really talented actor and I do agree. I think he was underutilized here. Uh, I think he could have done a lot more as far as the character and a lot more just in the story. He, he had the potential to be so much more because we've seen him be really outstanding in performances that he's done any stranger things. Um, you know, just a couple of other movies that I remember seeing him in and, and he's got the potential and he's got the talent. And I just think not that he was bad, but I just think he, he could have brought a lot more dynamic to the character he was. And because of that, really his character could have been played by anybody. And when you bring Finn Wolfhard, I think that you should actually make it something that's a little bit more challenging of a role because he is so good. Um, but not to say he was bad, just to say that, you know, it was, he was kind of a, almost a non-factor for the most part in this movie. I could have stood to see a little bit more dynamic between him and uh, McKenna Grace as far as their brother-sister relationship. Um, and also with Paul Rudd, I, I'm always a fan of Paul Rudd. I do actually think that he might be one of the funniest actors right now. I, I've always thought he was super funny. Um, his style of humor, I just find very enjoyable. Um, you know, and so he, you, but you're right. He, a lot of times does just kind of play a different version of Paul Rudd in a lot of things that he does. Um, he has the chops to do something different. I have seen that in stuff before, but as you know, kind of the the rule of thumb for him is that he sort of plays a version of himself and stuff that he's in because people just love that charm and that humor that he has. And that's totally mm -hmm. fair. And it does very much work in this movie. Um, I think it was a little bit misleading because this movie made it seem like he was going to be a lot more of a major player in this movie. And he really wasn't that much of a major player. He was important and his scenes, he definitely stole a lot of the scenes that he was in. But he was not as much of a major player as they wanted to make you think in this movie. Um, 
I also think that it was pretty cool the kind of the effects that they do with some of the stuff. Um, and then Emma Portner, who plays the spirit of Gozer in this, I thought was great. I think it was excellent how, um, you know, kind of just, I don't really think that's giving anything away, but she, they really made her look exactly like the Gozer from the other movie. Wait a second. Uh, just so you yeah. know, that's not who you're talking about. Oh, the physical not? embodiment of Gozer is Olivia Wilde. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Olivia. Is it the spirit of Gozer? If I'm if I'm thinking correctly, in this the way they did it, you know when it's kind of just like the this. I mean, it's not really a spoiler when it's the disembodied version of Gozer, like walking through the field. That's mm. who you're talking about. The physical embodiment of Gozer is Olivia Wilde. Okay, but when they did the close up of the face and everything like that, that was a different person, right? No, that's Olivia Wilde. Okay. Because yeah, I know that... The person um, playing Gozer, yeah, was Olivia Wilde. She's uncredited, but that is Olivia Wilde. Interesting, which is cool, too. But I know that they credited Emma Portner as playing the spirit of Gozer in this. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, and Emma... And I just thought that was cool because I thought she looked exactly like the other Gozer, which, if it's Olivia Wilde, she looks exactly like her, whoever it was was it was very much almost identical in my opinion um but yeah emma portner i know is also um elliot page's wife which i thought is kind of a fun little connection but um yeah i i thought that whoever it was that played gozer was very much identical to the original and i thought that was really well done um yeah i think and even the mom who i think her name is carrie coon i believe is her name the mom in this one um she was really good too. Um, I think that, you know, I, I really just kind of appreciated how they, for the most part, did her character in the sense of, um, she's that loving mom who she really tries to be there for her kids, even in spite of the challenges that she's having and even in spite of her own past and her, you know, lack of having people in her life. So I, I really enjoyed that dynamic that they had. Um, I also really liked um, Paul Rudd and McKenna Grace's scenes that they had together, like when they were in the classroom together discussing science and all of that. That was really cool. Um, You know, shout out to J.K. Simmons also for kind of his little small part in this movie. Um, Overall, it was fine. It was decent. I was entertained for the most part, of course. It has its flaws. It's not a perfect movie. I actually don't really care for how it was paced. I do think it felt a little bit slow in a lot of parts for this movie or the type of movie this was. It felt like it got, it it took a little bit of time to get started on a groove, but overall it was entertaining. You know, it was a fine movie. Um, I do think it's actually better than the 2016 Ghostbusters. So, um, so yeah, there's that for it, but yeah, it was, it was fine. Kind of like what Jess has said, it is definitely not a great movie, but it's a good movie. It's entertaining enough. You know, it's it's not one of those where it was just a complete miss. Um, I, I just do think it unfortunately suffered from the being overrated because of people anticipating it so much for so long and the delay because of the pandemic for when it got released. I think that the hype of the movie 
um, is not quite warranted for the quality of the movie. But not to say that it was bad, but just it's Ghostbusters. So everybody's going to be hyped about that and wanting something good and new and different with that. And it brought some good and new elements with a lot of nostalgia from the original. But it, it, it could have done things a little bit better and differently. But also, it wasn't bad. It, it was just really kind of a fine movie for me. It, it was mostly entertaining and... I, I don't say I regret watching it, but of course it's definitely not on the level of the originals at all. So just to be more clear, uh, the woman you were talking about playing the spirit of Gozer is anytime Gozer was done with CGI was her physically. It was Olivia Wilde. And then a third actress did the voice. So that is utterly confusing how they do that. Interesting. Yeah, but yes, that's how it, that's technically how it breaks down. Is Olivia Wilde was goes or anytime it was physically embodied, anytime it was CG, it was the the woman you were talking about. Okay, because even like up close, like that definitely didn't look anything like Olivia Wilde. So good job, I guess. The, the up close scene wasn't it for me, but there was one of the scenes, and I saw. I was like, "Fuck, that's Olivia Wilde, isn't it?" I watched too much House to not know her. <laughs> I kind of feel Justin's the same way. Oh yeah, yeah. We 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 know that face when we see it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Like and also, I mean, yeah, she's very beautiful. I get it. <laughs> but um, but also, yeah, the fact that Josh Gad was one of the voices in this too was kind of fun. Yeah, as Muncher. I really enjoy Josh Gad. Yeah. Yeah, as Muncher, the the new Slimer, if you will, Slimer two point Yeah. Um, Which is funny because they literally could have gotten anybody to do that (laughs) because it's not like Muncher says much. Um, But I just, I appreciate that just because I really enjoy Josh Gad. I think he's also a super funny person. So yeah, that was, it's always fun to have those little, like little cameos of people that even if they do something small, you know, they're a part of it. It's always fun to see that. So, well, it's like how Bill Hader does the, the, the beeping for BB eight in the first uh, Star Wars uh, Force Awakens. It's one of these things where it's, oh, these, really? it's these franchises that are huge and these people just want to be a part of it. And they're like, well, you can be the voice of a ghost that just chews shit. And they go, fuck it, I'll chew some shit. You know, and like Josh Gad seems like the type of person that would be like, cool, yeah, I'll chew the fuck out of some shit. I'm in the movie. You know, so that works. Um, yeah. And so as far as myself with this movie, I'm at a weird crossroads with this movie because I'm having a hard time differentiating this movie from also being essentially what is porn of this movie sucking the first movie's dick the entire time. Like, and it's weird how I sound mad about that, but I kind of am. This movie just was on the dick of the first movie constantly. I think it yeah. went no longer than every other line in this movie is a reference to the first fucking movie. I think if you take all the scenes that aren't a reference to the first movie, this would be like a 40 minute movie. Cause it is just nonstop references to the first movie. Now why I'm conflicted is there are worse things you could be referencing than the first Ghostbusters movie. 
But at the same time, I'm watching this movie and I'm like, what do you want to be? Do you want to be the third Ghostbusters movie like it's claiming to be? It's the third of the trilogy. Or do you just want to be, uh, hey, do you remember the first Ghostbusters? Because that's all this movie does to me. Is constantly going, hey, 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 you remember this in the first Ghostbusters? What about this one? Bet you remember this. Oh, hey, let's do something else. And now we're referencing this other thing. Oh, yeah. Like, that's all this fucking movie did. And it really kind of disappointed me. Because I wanted something different. I wanted this to be the culmination of everything. And, I mean, and also because I am such a huge Ghostbusters fan... This movie introduces a shit ton of continuity problems into the Ghostbusters universe that we can go into in spoilers. Because I can break it down. Why aspects of this movie don't actually work because of the continuity they're trying to establish. And it doesn't work in-universe. I have done it a lot of thinking about it. Um, like you guys said, though, the, but there's so much here to like, though. I mean, McKenna Grace is utterly fucking spectacular in this movie. Like, did she method fucking, you know, Harold Ramis as fucking Egon? Right. Because, (laughs) and like you said, Justin, it's not that she's just doing a copy of Egon. She's just like what Egon's fucking granddaughter would be. Yeah. You know, that's what she is. And she does such a fucking good job of it. Just like every fucking scene with her in this movie is just a joy to watch. And then they just ruin it with other bullshit constantly. I mean, I kind of agree with you, Heather. Finn Wolfhard was just the most generic ass, just white teenage character ever. Big brother. Just <laughs> yeah. big brother white teenager. Go. Yeah. That's all he was. The his love interest in this movie was infinitely more interesting than he was. Because she had personality. And she still wasn't and that interesting. I don't think she was that interesting. You don't? She was alright. I mean, she was more interesting than Finn for sure, yes. but yeah. I still feel like she was almost a non factor most of the she time. She was a slight non but at least she had personality. Like, she had character traits. Finn Wolfhard, and I don't, I don't blame Finn for this. Because we've seen him do stuff. He can act. But his character is just a slice of Iron Kid's bread. <laughs> just, yeah. just untoasted, no butter, no mayonnaise, no must, nothing. Just a slice of Iron Kid's. Yeah. He has no arc. That's the issue. He doesn't. Well, what is his arc? Fixing up he the fixes... Ecto One. The Ecto One is that the arc? That's his like, arc of the movie, and that's what and that's what several characters. That's a problem for several characters in this. They just have no arcs. They don't because their purpose is to serve as an ultimate reference to the first movie. Yeah, which gets me back to yeah. Paul Rudd. They wasted a Paul Rudd. Every time he's in the movie, he's fantastic. But what was he there for ultimately? To be a reference to the first movie. That's it. 
That's all he was. I was thinking, you know, he's going to be a part of the Ghostbusters, all this shit, because he is the one that screams, I could have been in the Ghostbusters. (laughs) Yeah. Right? That that's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In exactly. the trailers, how excited he is about like, oh, you found the ghost trap, like all yeah. that stuff. Dude, that motherfucker is acting like I would have if I found a real life ghost right. trap and shit. <laughs> right. You know all this shit and what? What? He was a fucking nothing. He was a sacrifice to the altar of Ghostbusters. So, and that's the problem. Is so much of this movie is just sacrificing itself to the altar of Ghostbusters. The mom, the mom could have had some interesting arcs to her, but what she doesn't actually have an arc because she's poor at the beginning of the movie Mm. and she's poor with no prospects at the end of the movie. It's she doesn't change at all. And she's not trying to do anything like was she trying to work or get a job or was she trying to like Hmm. she's trying to fuck Paul Rudd. That is the only thing she does in this movie is try to fuck Paul Rudd. That's what it, yeah, that's what it feels like, right? Like, I was trying to figure her out. I was thinking about that, dude. Like, I was like, what was the mother trying to do? Like, like they were there, you know, because of the eviction and everything. I know this is kind of like, I guess this is kind of spoiler talk. I won't get too much into the plot. But, like, I couldn't figure out what she was trying to do. You know what I mean? It didn't feel like she was doing it. Like, normally a mom is like, okay, I'm going to make the the kids work or i'm gonna be out here working a job and trying to make this ends meet or something like normally they're busy doing something and i didn't feel that way about her i don't know i guess that's a good point she was i didn't think about that and her her character kind of straddles a few weird lines because she's not even the dangerous alcoholic bad parent that's neglectful She's the millennial alcoholic that's just funny because she drinks a lot of wine. Yeah. Yeah. Like, she's not even that. She's not even, like, the abuse of alcohol is, or just, you know, a failure because they drink, you know, where, like, they're just so drunk all the time. They're like, Mom, it's time to go to bed because they're passed out in their own vomit on the couch. She's not even that. She's cute and adorable because she passed out on the kitchen table with a glass of wine, though. And, and and you can see there are elements of her acting in this movie where you're like, oh, you could have done more. They just didn't write any more for you. Yeah. That's with like, a lot of the characters in this, with, I think. Without going to, in too deep, like would, would, I think this is kind of referencing something that Justin, I think, wants to reference, too. When she goes down to the basement, that's all I'll say about that. She has a genuinely good scene. Yeah. Yeah. She can act. They just didn't give her any fucking thing to act with. Like that scene showed it. She has all the tools, and they just went, just stand over there instead of doing any of the work. Like they just didn't do anything with her character. I mean, I'll say this at least for the movie, kind of focusing on the children. At least they gave McKenna and Podcast something to fucking do. At least yeah. their characters weren't wasted. Yeah. I just, so much of this movie I feel like was a waste of potential because to add a character arcs for these characters, they would have to not reference the first movie every 
fucking 10 seconds. And they would have had to write an actual movie. Like They would have had to fully write a movie instead of just writing to your next reference point. Like, I think maybe that's why I'm so mad. There's so much wasted potential here that they just threw away for references to the first movie. Guess what? If I want fucking references to the first movie, I'll watch it. I get all the references to the first movie in that one. So, like, yeah, I'm kind of fucking pissed about this movie. Because I genuinely love the Ghostbusters. And this movie felt like it was wanting to just be a love letter to the Ghostbusters instead of continuation of. I don't need a love letter to the Ghostbusters. I am a living fucking love letter to them. (laughs) I want a fucking third movie. And I still don't feel like I got it. I feel like I got Ghostbusters 1.25 because it's not that far removed from it. I think if you just, like I said, if you remove every reference to the first movie, it's like a 40-minute movie. It becomes a short film. Like, it becomes a fucking one-hour TV show with commercial breaks taken out. Like, even the fucking music, they steal the entire orchestral score of the first movie for this. It's just, it's the same fucking thing. I just, I I don't know how I could feel happy about a movie that I I can't say is an actual movie. Like. And especially because you're not much for a nostalgia type of thing. So that vibe that they were going for with it isn't going to hit with someone like you who already is a nostalgia person, but also loves the Ghostbusters. But that's the thing. As much as I am not a big nostalgia person. The one thing you can fucking hit me with is Ghostbusters nostalgia. (laughs) And I don't think this was nostalgic. I think it was just a fucking, hey, do you remember this other movie? I do think that there are scenes at the end of this movie that are nostalgic in the right kind of way. But unfortunately, I dealt with not enough nostalgia for the rest of the movie. Because there was no sentiment with it. Like, there was sentiment with the the stuff at the end. There's no sentiment with the rest of it. And like I said, I think it ruins the continuity of the Ghostbusters. And I really want to talk about that. So, spoilers? Recommendations and scores. That's what I meant. Rec- I, I had my hand over the recommendations <laughs> and scores button. I just said the wrong word. I was like, did something happen? No, you guys were just like, no, Sterling said the wrong word and didn't know what was going on. So I get that. So what I meant to say, recommendations and scores. Recommendations and scores. I'm going to assume both of you guys were ready for this. Uh, Heather, go. Yeah, I would say it's, it is a conflicting position. So I, I mean, I guess I would recommend it if only for 
honestly McKenna Grace. Like, I think she does such a great performance in this movie that she is worth watching in it. Um, and I do think that they do have some really good, good things that they do. Like, um, you know, in the later part of the movie, they do some good things with it. So, um, I will recommend it. Um, I, I recommend it with caution, if you will. (laughs) Um, I don't recommend it in the sense of you're going to love it as much as the other Ghostbusters movies. But I recommend it because I think it is worth seeing at least the small things that they do do well with it. Um, so yeah, I mean, sure, why not? Like I said, it's nowhere near what the originals were or anything like that. And there was some wasted potential with characters and storylines. But I was generally entertained by it. So I would say, yes, go ahead and watch it if you if you are a fan of you know, fun, silly movies, I guess. Um, my recommendation, I'm sorry, my score is going to be, I guess I'll give it 70. Um, Ernie Hudson looks far better than any other original cast members out of a hundred. Justin, what about you? I thought the same thing about Ernie Hudson. I, I totally <laughs> had that thought when I saw them. Is it because uh, he aged five years and everyone else has aged 97 years? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty basically. much. With the yeah. exception of Andy Potts. Andy Potts still looks great. That's Janine. Sigourney Weaver doesn't look bad either. She, right. Yeah. She, but of the of the actual team of Ghostbusters. Oof. I don't know why they agreed to this yeah. movie once they saw Ernie on set. They're like, motherfucker, you look the same. Fuck off. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I would have left. But um <laughs> but um I mean as far as a recommendation, I mean, I, I do think that overall when you look at the sum of the movie, um, like I said, you know, it, it's decent. It's okay. It's not terrible. I, I wouldn't consider this a bad film. And I do feel like with the sentimentality and some of the nostalgia and stuff like that, I do feel like that you're just going to have a sect of fans that will forgive the flaws because of some of the nostalgic things and the emotional things that the movie tries to do at the end. I think that this is going to be one of those movies where when it gets to the end and if it gets you to feel something at the end, I think a lot of people would just forgive some of the narrative flaws that it has. And, and I'm curious if, you know, Sterling, you you have some of the same narrative flaws I had in it um, or questions that I had about it. Um, I think that when the that the movie works more whenever it was just being about the kids and discovering this. When it's when when it's not busy trying to give you all of the Ghostbuster one references and uh to and before it just goes all in on Ghostbusters one in the final act, uh, I think when it was being more, I think I liked it more when it was Stranger Things. I think and less when it was 
Ghostbusters Part 1, you know, when it was about the kids and the, the discovery and the back and forth banter with them and them sort of kind of uncovering the mystery, I think that's when the movie really works. And that could be because that's what the director was more comfortable doing. Um, and then whenever it goes full on, just nostalgic kind of binge, I do think that it works less, but I do feel that there will be people that like that stuff and they're going to gravitate to that and they're going to forgive like what I think are narrative and character flaws because they got their nostalgic fix. You know what I mean? And I think that's where most people will fall. But overall, um, like I said, it's not a great film. It's okay. It's good. It's respectable because of some of the performances and a lot of the story elements. I do think work more than they don't work. Uh, so with that being said, I'd probably go with. We're going to go it, it mostly it's going to be positive, but just not like super. Yeah, we'll probably go with like 68. Uh, 68 uh, badass uh, ghost chase scenes with the Ecto-1 out of 100, which was my personal favorite scene of the movie. That was pretty nice. I'm really struggling here. I want to recommend this movie. I want to. It's a fucking Ghostbusters movie. Why the fuck wouldn't I want to recommend it? I just don't know if I can. Like, I, I kind of still feel like just go watch the first one. Like, it's, you know, it's it's uh, the same movie almost. I do agree with you, Justin. Man, when it was doing Buster Babies, and it's like the kids doing their shit, it's fucking great. Mm. When, it's, when it's sitting there, and like, those were the references I enjoyed in this movie. When mm-hmm. it was the kids discovering yeah. them. Those were fun. Yeah. That was the right way to do those references. It felt organic. Yeah. Exactly. Because that's kind of how fucking kids are nowadays. Kids nowadays aren't going to know Ghostbusters unless you go, hey, watch Ghostbusters. And then they'll watch it. Most, like, my little brothers love it and shit. But it's because somebody sat them down and made them watch Ghostbusters, you know? So it's like watching that discovery of the Ghostbusters and stuff like that in-universe I think it was, was a fantastic idea. And those were the sections of this movie I truly enjoyed. And then the, just the, the rest of the movie is just going, hey guys, remember 37 years ago or the fuck it is? Like, remember that movie? Yeah, that movie. Come on. Like, the entire third act is the third act from the fucking first movie. Like, mm-hmm. almost to a yeah. T. Like, I know there's Almost some slight it, differences, yeah. but it's the fucking same third act. Like, fuck, man. And, like, and that's just a chore. I don't want to see that in this movie. You know? And so, it's just, it's so conflicting. I mean, I'll recommend it, because I think if you're a casual fan of the Ghostbusters, I think it'll have enough for you to enjoy. I just... As a diehard Ghostbusters fan, I almost don't want to recommend it. I would recommend any of the other three Ghostbusters movies, I think, before I would this one. Just because I think this is an insult to diehard fandom of Ghostbusters. 
when it should have been the pinnacle of it. You know? I just, I don't think it offers as much as anything else. At least with the 2016 movie, they, like, well, narratively, they did have some issues. They did try to do some other stuff that I do think had some interesting qualities to it. You know, they introduced different types of ghost-busting weapons and all this other stuff, and there's some intrigue to some of that stuff, you know? The the types of ghosts they introduced in it were, I think, a little bit more unique than we got in this movie. Especially because uh, every ghost in this movie is a reference to fucking a ghost in another movie. <laughs> like, like, why the fuck didn't they just put Slimer in this fucking movie? That was the weirdest yeah. choice to me. Just because everything else is a reference to the first movie, why the fuck not have Slimer then? I was thinking that too. Because yeah. it's Diet Slimer. It is just a fucking thing that's ju- it's Slimer adjacent. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's practically Slimer. It's just not green and slimy. It still just eats a bunch of shit and it's a blob fucking thing. Fucking make it Slimer. Just get get the fuck over it. Like, that's the one thing you don't reference in this movie? Is that? Really? That's where you draw the line? Fucking putting Slimer in this movie? Get the fuck out of here. Um, I don't know. Honestly, I my score, I want to give it a 45. I want to give this fucker a 45. But Heather made a very good point. McKinnon Grace is a fucking godsend in this movie. So, just because of McKenna yeah. Grace alone, I'll give this movie 55... Uh, I don't know, why the fuck didn't you just put Slimer in this movie out of 100? <laughs> uh, spoilers? Uh, I said it right now. Yeah. yeah. Spoilers! Okay, guys, we're going to go down a history lesson of the Ghostbusters here and how I think this movie breaks continuity. For one, everybody said that this is the third Ghostbusters movie, which would mean that Ghostbusters 2 is in continuity, right? So Ghostbusters 2 should be in continuity. A, one problem I have with this movie is they make zero references to Ghostbusters 2. This movie acts like Ghostbusters 2 never happened in a multitude of ways, yet is specifically stated by the writer-director, who is the son of the fucking guy that directed the first two, that this is the third movie, that this is the continuation of Ghostbusters 1 and 2. That's what this is. This is the third movie. But, like I said, it erases Ghostbusters 2 from continuity completely. For one, this movie takes place in 2021. It says so in the movie. that like That was the date... Of the, you know, the next occurrence of Gozer was 2021. So this movie takes place in 2021. So that means it is 37 years since the original Ghostbusters, which would make it 32 years since the second Ghostbusters. Okay, now follow me. How old is the mom in this movie? She's not 32. She's like 35 or 36. Would put her being born 
around the time of the first Ghostbusters movie. But so much of this movie hinges on Egon leaving the family when she's young, but also having a relationship with the mom. Because they say in the movie that he abandoned his mom and his friends and left. So when he leaves New York is also when he abandons the mother. The only way this could happen is if he had a kid and a wife or girlfriend or fiance, whatever it is, in the second movie. And there's nothing in the second movie to imply that. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. she would have had to, with Finn Wolfhard's character turning 16 the, the following year, which would be 2022, they're implying that he's 15 in this movie, so she would have had to have the kid in seven when she was 17. But then they also make references that she wasn't a teenage mom. Because they have the references of like, you know, like, oh, mom, I thought you saved money. And she was like, yeah, before I had kids. No teenager saving money before they have kids when they're having a kid at 17. That's not something you would say in that situation. You'd be like, yeah, except I had you when I was a teenager. So, no. Like, that's the line you would say. You wouldn't say, I had money saved until I had kids. Because you're 17, you don't have any money saved. And so she would have had to have the kid when she was a teenager. But like I said, the narrative doesn't necessarily support that. So once again, that would imply that it happens before Ghostbusters 2. But Ghostbusters 2 has nothing that even hints towards something like that. Plus, in this movie, they go back to referencing the romantic, possible romantic relationship between Janine and Egon from the first movie that they completely get rid of when they do the second movie and she hooks up with Louis Tolley. But, but then they also have it that, that, that Janine's not the mom because Janine was like, oh yeah, I knew your dad. But then also, it makes no sense because none of the other Ghostbusters really know the mom, Egon's daughter. So that's also a clue that this happened. This had to happen after Ghostbusters two, because between Ghostbusters one and Ghostbusters two, you would think that the, 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 the his daughter would have met Janine or Winston or Ray or somebody met them at least some of them didn't even know that he had a fucking daughter or at least that's how they act in this movie yeah mm-hmm. this movie breaks the fucking continuity of the Ghostbusters but then it's also supposed to be a gigantic love letter to the Ghostbusters but you can't even get your fucking date straight This that's all easily fixed by not having Finn Wolfhard be 15 but also, he's an older man now. So, uh, or an older uh, young man now. So, you would have to not have Finn Wolfhard in this movie. You'd have to have like two kids, like 12 and under, to really make this work in the continuity of the overall story arc. I mean, this movie works if you negate Ghostbusters 2, which don't even get me started on all the bullshit that would be because Ghostbusters 2 is legit. <laughs> But like I said, everyone involved with this movie says it is the third fucking movie. 
but it doesn't work in that scenario. Unless everybody's like having kids when they're so young. But like I said, the narratively, they don't support that in this. So it just makes no sense because they really make it seem like Egon got in a relationship like two years after the first movie and then abandoned everybody a year after that, which would put it a year before Ghostbusters 2. I just don't understand that flaw. And I know that that is something that very few people probably noticed because nobody's really thinking about the Ghostbusters franchise in that type of arc like I do. But honestly, that was one thing throughout this movie I was having a hard time coming to grips with the entire movie. Because I'm waiting for scenes to fix it. I'm waiting for somebody to give a line that fixes what I'm seeing as a, 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 a problem in the story arc. Just in the timeline of it all. And nobody even says a line like that. And like I said, I, I understand that's a weird nitpick thing, but I'm watching this movie and that is stuck in my head almost the entire fucking movie. Because every time they gave more information as to Egon leaving and stuff like that, it just furthered my confusion of what the fuck is going on. And then I go back and look. And you see interviews with Jason Reitman. He's like, yeah, the third movie of the story. This is the third Ghostbusters movie. Ivan Reitman's like, yep, we did the third Ghostbusters movie. Ray's like, um, Dan Aykroyd's like, yep, we finally did a third Ghostbusters movie. And I'm like, am I the only one that knows this? Like, all the motherfuckers that are responsible for this franchise, none of them can do math? Or remember their own (laughs) shit? I mean, I, I get that. They've done other shit, so it's not like they're, you know, constantly just knowing this one thing. But I'm like, if it really is that much of a passion project for you, wouldn't you know this shit? If it's a passion? But yeah, that's driving me nuts the entire fucking movie. And why I just, I, I'm just dumbfounded by so much of that. Um, and like I said earlier, the entire third act is just the third act of the first movie. Right down to the fact that the terror dogs slide on everything when they go after and chase people. I feel like they just took the same animations of the terror dogs sliding when they're chasing Tully and just modernized (laughs) the graphics. Because it's the same exact shit. Like, I mean, were you guys annoyed by the little mini Stay Puft Marshmallow Mans? Because I was. Because once again, to me, it was just a shameless little reference. Like, you know... Because why the fuck would there be baby marshmallow like marshmallow men with Gozer again? You know what I mean? Like Gozer doesn't have a weird obsession with marshmallows, right? Like, so, it was an opportunity kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. felt like marketing strategy, didn't it? Because in the original, wasn't the whole purpose of that was because she was like Gozer was like. You choose know, my form. Choose the destroyer. Yeah. yeah. Choose my destroyer. And they all were trying not to think of something. And then Ackroyd thought of the palm, the marshmallow man. Exactly. So I was like, okay. And then when they popped out here, I was like, uh, why? And I thought I was might get an explanation and didn't. So I was like, okay, marketing. Yeah. <laughs> and also in this right. in this movie, why doesn't Gozer need to take the form of a destroyer in this movie? 
Why didn't they do that again? Yeah. Like something. They should have done something again. You know? And they didn't do it. Yeah. Like, that was weird to me. Because I was actually expecting that. I'm like, wait, you're not going for a destroyer form in this? Even though in the first movie it references that every time goes or comes, it takes the form of a destroyer. (laughs) Just not this time? Yeah. I mean, there were some very subtle references in some of that stuff that I did enjoy, but like, it just, it, so much of it took me out. Like, why did they, they have Evo Shandor in this movie? Which was played by J.K. Simmons. Which is a waste of J.K. Simmons. Yeah, you wasted Even though J.K. Shout Simmons. out that he was in it. <laughs> which is a, like, but yeah, it's Evo, like Evo Shandor. Why did they need him in this movie? What, what was the purpose of that? Like, it was nothing. He was yeah. in a coffin, got resurrected when Gozer came back, and then Gozer just destroyed him. I'm like, okay, that was needed. Why? It was just yeah. literally 10 seconds <laughs> of this movie that is just utterly unnecessary. And I don't even know what kind of fan service they're doing with that. Like, it's meant to be fan service, but I'm like, what fan is asking for this? Like, what what are you doing? One thing I will say that's like a subtle detail that I loved about it. Um, you know, like that when they're in the, the cave temple tunnel mine fuck thing, whatever it is. And they're down there and they're seeing like that ghost tunnel that keeps like the ghosts keep coming out and it activates the thing and it gets blasted back down. I don't know if you guys noticed it, but it's a very subtle thing. That trap that pushes the tunnel back down is four proton packs aimed at at this one point to where they cross streams to push it back down. And I thought that that was so cool. That it's that little thing of them crossing the streams to like, it's a trap that crosses the streams of the proton packs to make it go down. That was such a cool little thing to me. Just for them to do the crossing the streams again to end the movie. Like, well, we already got that. Hmm. And I know that like the, the, the Egon stuff at the end, wasn't terrible that was nostalgia that was fine that was nostalgia but like so much of this movie was just like it was reference and that's what bothered me is it was reference you know like also how was egon standing there at the end of the movie a gigantic ghost trap just went off that took everything around them how the fuck was he not sucked into that? I know that's a little <laughs> thing, but how is he think he should have been sucked into the tunnel thing? Also, what was the weird thing with the terror dog ghosts? There were like flaming smoke monsters that were flying, flying around a couple of times in this movie. That made no sense to me. That's not something that is from the first movie. Like you, so why introduce that aspect of terror dog mythos in this movie? Because that makes no sense. That was their attempt at making it new and fresh. (laughs) Yeah, flaming smoke monsters. Like, we haven't seen that in 97 Marvel and or DC movies. (laughs) Like, (laughs) oh, let's take the terror dogs and make them a DC villain for 30 seconds in this movie. Okay. That's a fucking brilliant choice. Um... Uh, let's let's talk about the mom character so we can actually talk about what we were talking about earlier, Justin. Like, her story arc is her finding pictures and being okay with her dad. 
That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And she's still in the same shitty situation she was in. And no closer to being any, like, more out of it. Like, that's it. That's, that's her story arc, is finding pictures in the basement. Yeah, that was it. She went from being angry at him to not being angry at him. And that's it. Yeah. I guess they thought that was an arc. But it's just weird that she just wasn't like... I don't know. Why didn't she have anything to do or something that sort of linked to her character traits to kind of help, you know, just like the brother that we're talking about, like he fixes the car, but why did he do that? Like, was he into cars? Was he, because he, if you saw earlier in the movie, when they were driving to this, the Oklahoma town, their car breaks down and he fixes it. That's his character trait. Is he fixes cars. So he can just do that. But I wish it tied to some sort of per- like, was he into cars? Was he, why does he have that skill? And see, that's what the movie is missing. Like, what about his personality? Like, why wasn't he into car? Why, why wasn't that said? Or why wasn't he like somebody who was into cars? Or why wasn't he having a conversation with another person and being like, yeah, you know, I'm, or how come him and the sister, you know, well, you, well, I may be, smart this way but you're smart you know you you can pretty much fix a car you know i mean i don't know i just wish that it tied to something you know how you fix it about his personality you know that scene when she fixes the proton pack yeah you have him help her do that because mechanically yeah he knows what to do but the science side she knows what to do so together they can fix a proton pack as children. Yeah. Bam. Together Solved. They, they make a yeah, they make a, a good yeah, together they make a good team, you know? Or they improve the Which proton pack or something. Problem. Yeah. Give it mm-hmm. use to his skills other than he can fix the Ecto one. Like And it would give that brother sister dynamic that yeah. I think they should have done a little bit more of. Because they didn't have a bad relationship. They just had a bland one. <laughs> like, kind of like yeah. hostile. Yep. It, it wasn't hostile. It was nothing. It was just a, their brother and sister. Okay. Ta-da relationship. You know, but how, like, because why is it that she's the one that connects, is the one that can solely connect to Eon? Like, that's the thing, is they could have both been working on it. And it's that shared relationship or identity that goes back to their grandfather. Yeah, she's the only one who seemed to care about that aspect of knowing her grandfather. Like, nobody else in the story really seemed to care, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's because she's an egghead nerd, just like Egon was. So, she's the one that cares, because no one else understands. Even though, like I said, the older brother right. isn't really mean to her about it. Yeah, he teases her with shit. You know, when she says one of her jokes and he's like, no. But like, Which is normal brother yeah, stuff anyway. But it wasn't yeah. even hostile. You know what I mean? He doesn't really pick on her. It's not like he goes out of his way to fuck with her. You know? Yeah, he actually tries to protect her in a lot of scenes. Yeah. But like so like I think that they if they just did that scene where yeah, she knows the science side, but he can fix machines. 
bam, they fix, or like say they improved the proton pack. Well, like, well, if we did this and this, you know, you could do this with it. And they could have like, it could have been like a triple beam proton pack or something. Like added something yeah. to it. Or, may, or how come that wasn't how he got that job? Like, you know, I mean, he want, he got that job because he liked her and everything like that. What if that fails and then those guys are, you know, that he sees them somewhere and something needs to be fixed and he fixes it? I don't know. Yeah, I, I just, oh, Chastin, I just Chastin, wish- you fucking nailed it. They're all about to go out to the fucking, you know, little mountain thing that they went out to. The car breaks down. He fixes it. Bam. Everyone's like, hey, you're going to come with us now. Now you're yeah. part of our team. Yeah. Something. That little scene right there justifies him joining everybody and all this other stuff. And also shows and more of being his... being cool with him suddenly. Yeah, and, and him showing his abilities more other than a cut scene at the very beginning and him fixing Ecto-1. That's, that's, that's it. That's his arc for the whole movie is fixing Ecto-1. Yeah. And then he's just at the end, you know, being annoyed by many Stay Puffs that somehow travel miles with their tiny little feet. (laughs) (laughs) Like, because they all act like the dirt farm is like 20 miles outside of town. And also, why does this smallest town have the biggest Walmart that has ever been built? Um, and why was it clean? And how come nobody was in it? <laughs> no one was in that. Like you said, it was the most immaculate Walmart that's ever been built. <laughs> it was immaculate, man. I mean, you could have eaten a little mini marshmallow man right off the ground and just been fine. <laughs> also, why were all the little mini marshmallow men just suicidal as fuck? Like, they were just all about dying. Right. <laughs> it's just weird. Yeah, that's true. Like, let me get in this blender and let me, let me yeah. cook myself over this fire. <laughs> yeah, the other, the big Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, he felt pain. Like, when he was burning, he, he, he sold yeah, it. He like, was like, oh, it hurts, you know? And they literally seemed, like, happy. <laughs> they were just like, yay, yeah, fire. They were happy. <laughs> also, yeah, they were happy to be how diced did they have and burned. They're marshmallows. They don't have teeth. <laughs> How did he get bit? Like it was solely marketing. You you guys are dead on with that. And like I do like the fact that they acknowledge the kind of open reference to the keymaster and gatekeeper from the first movie that they don't truly acknowledge in the first two movies is that the gatekeeper and the keymaster have to fuck. Like, I like that they actually acknowledge that in this movie. They hint at it in the first movie and all this other stuff, but they don't really say, yeah, they fucked to bring about the end of the world. I like in this movie that they go, no, these got to fuck. Which is also, is that the other reason why you have the mom is just to fuck Paul Rudd? (laughs) Find pictures in a basement and fuck (laughs) Paul Rudd. That is her story arc. I mean, it's it's dumb. It's just like I don't I don't understand some of the shit they were doing with this movie. Like I said, I mean it's everything was just Ghostbusters one or Ghostbusters one adjacent. Like with Kmart fucking Slimer. 
I just, I don't understand that. <laughs> it's just the weirdest yeah. decision in the world to have it just be Slimer, but with legs and he's blue and he eats shit that's metal instead of eating food like Slimer did. Like, you couldn't just have Slimer eat the, like, metal shit, too? Mm. And just be it Slimer and shit? Like, it's just a fucking thing. Like, I just don't understand, like, a lot of the weird choices they made in this movie. Like, I don't really understand, like, Ray's story arc with the child on the phone. Like, I kind of get it. Yeah. But at the same time, it's very weird. Because she's like, hey, I'm calling about Egon Spangler. And she's just like, he's just like, Egon Spangler can rot in hell. And then she's like, he was my granddad. And he's like, oh, my bad. And now let me tell you this whole life story about us. Let like, me tell you the history of the Ghostbusters whoever. now. Right. Yeah, I don't know who you are. I'm going to exposit all of this. And mm-hmm. I didn't buy that he wouldn't believe Egon if Egon said, hey, there's an apocalyptic thing. Like, I didn't buy that he wouldn't believe that. Yeah. That Egon couldn't have presented some sort of evidence. I mean, right. you have mobile phones and stuff now. If you had this whole trap thing set up where you had these, um, you know, these, they, these proton, um, blasters to if you had all of this stuff set up to where these things are coming out of this hole this chasm or whatever and you're shooting them down to stop them you couldn't just video that and send it to them and be like see i'm not lying yeah i don't know you can't go get a fucking camera phone at the brand fucking spanking new nice ass walmart exactly (laughs) and just film that and send it to them and go see see Ray I'm not lying about this like I didn't buy that it didn't feel like something the character would do and and again to your point about Ghostbusters 2 wasn't that kind of a plot point in Ghostbusters 2 he didn't believe him on something at the end apologizes to him for not believing him like didn't we already learn this lesson well with Ghostbusters 2 the, it, it's a lot of the stuff at the, more towards the beginning when they're trying to figure out what's actually going on and then like falling into the fucking ooze and being negatively charged and stuff like that. So they have a fight, you know, and they're blaming each other and stuff like that. And then they realize it's the negative ooze. So they take off their clothes. So they're no longer affected by it. It's, but it's, one. it's like you said, the, the, the narrative doesn't fit Egon's fucking personality. Like that if he comes yeah. to if he comes to Ray, especially Ray, the man that will fucking yeah. believe anything. I mean yeah. he believed that taking out a third mortgage on your house is okay. Like and you're like <laughs> he got talked into the firehouse by just going, Hey, there's a pole here. And he got talked into giving him forty eight hundred for a caddy that you've got to spend twenty seven thousand <laughs> to fix up. And you're, you're telling right. me you couldn't convince him that Evo Shandor has another temple to Gozer out there? Right. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Just Ray I alone just would just go, that. fuck it, let's go see. Yeah. yeah. He would have at least came and saw for himself. Like, I just did not buy that the character would do that. Yeah. You know? I could see I could see Winston and Vankman kind of being like 
that's a little weird. We're not going to Oklahoma just to see if something's there. But like, like Ray and fucking Egon would have taken a road trip and they would have fucking gone down there and gone, fuck. There's a, there's a, a fucking temple here. And they would have been there and they would have called everybody else and Bankman would have been like, uh, I can't get laid in Oklahoma. I need to stay up here. And Winston would have been like, no, I started my, I don't finance business, whatever the fuck he started. So I'm going to do that. And you would have had Ray and Egon there. That makes sense. But just Ray not believing Egon or Egon not being able to put something in a sentence to go, hey, there's another temple of to Gozer in Oklahoma. Yeah. Like, come on. It makes no fucking sense following like any of the characteristics of these fucking characters you've seen in the other stuff. You know? Yeah. I mean, you could have at least argued that, you know, randomly Egon just left and nobody knew why. You could have at least had that been the the thing. I think that would have been a better story, honestly. Yeah. That just nobody knew why. Not that he tried to convince them and they just didn't believe him, so he abandoned everything. It makes more sense that he just become like so obsessed with everything and then he just left. And nobody knew anything about it. That would have been at least a little bit slightly more on character. Because yeah. he would view himself as the smartest one that could take care of this. You know, you could argue that point. Not that we didn't believe him. That makes no sense. Yeah. You know, and like, I just, I, I, I think it's so weird to just, Use Paul Rudd to just be your uh, your Lewis Tully character, like he, that's ultimately all he was. And like, I just I don't understand why they had to go back to the Evo Shandor, Gozer Terror Dogs like point. Like I get that, yeah, those are some of the things that made the first movie iconic. But like, do something different, like. Do something else to make your movie iconic. Don't just reuse it all. You know? Have like Evo Shandor, if you want, really want to go that route, have it be that he built a, a something to a different Babylonian god. That was like the worst Gozer. Like, not Gozer, but like a worse version of Gozer. You know? That had to be constantly kept at bay and all this other stuff. Like it's just so much of this felt like a weird waste of potential with a lot of this stuff. I will say this, one of the coolest things they did in this movie, that's like I said, you take something from the past and kind of make it more iconic or, you know, add something to it to make your movie iconic. Man, adding that gunner seat to the fucking Ecto-1 was amazing. Mm, yeah. Fucking great. Yeah, and that was my favorite scene of the movie. Like, that whole chase sequence and them trying to figure out how to use it and then destroying some of the town, not really having a full grasp of what Mm -hmm. they're doing, and chasing um, Muncher? 
Yeah, muncher. Yeah. Muncher around that that was that was cool. I thought that that was a very well done. That was a lot of fun. Do you? It, it it had some good tension. That was interesting. That was an interesting idea with some Ghostbusters tech that we hadn't seen. You know? Do you know why that scene works, Justin? Why? Because that was a smart reference to yeah. the Slimer scene from the first movie, where it's the same type of thing. Yeah, they have this tech, but they'd never used it before. And so they don't know what they're doing. So they're destroying half a fucking hotel to get rid of Slimer. That was a smart way of referencing it because it's not beating you over the head with going, no, this is, look, look, it's just like the first movie. It's the same, it's the same theme. And that's why it works. They're new to this idea. They don't know the technology. So they're trying to figure it out, but they, they know what they need to do. So they're working to get to that goal while haphazardly destroying a bunch of shit in the, you know, uh, realm of like, yeah, like to do what they need to do. Like in their, in their goal of, 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 of catching the ghost, like that's the smart way to reference. And that's why that scene works is it has all the hallmarks of the first, of the first movie with that Slimer scene Without it just going, look, we're doing the Slimer scene all over again. Yeah, yeah. And if more, uh, if if they had just done more of that kind of stuff, or or like kind of like the discovery scenes that we're talking about, I love the whole thing about like Egon's spirit kind of guiding her down into that lab and showing oh, yeah, her fantastic. different things, and her kind of, I loved that scene too. You know, yeah. like it's moments like that where it really, really works. And then, yeah, but but in that third act, when they just went all in on the first movie, it's almost like like the tone of this just totally changed. And it was just like, we're going all in on Ghostbusters one. And, and like I said, the, that's where it's weaker. That, that That's where. Not everything works. You know, you're hit with all this nostalgia and some of it works and some of it doesn't. Like Egon's spirit coming back and him helping her with the with the proton pack and everything. Like that was cool. Like like there were parts of that where you're like, yeah, man, okay, I got I'm, I'm with it. And then there are other parts like like we talked about, um you know, uh, th- that just didn't seem to work at all. And it's all just sort of meshed together, you know. Well, it's because and this is all together. It's it's because they do the the last scene isn't like a reference back to the first movie, like like we were talking about with the Muncher Chase scene. How that just subtly references the first movie by keeping some of the beats, but doing it differently, and you know, introducing new tech while you do it. Like that's even new to Ghostbusters and all this other shit. So you get some newness with it. What the fuck was new about fighting Gozer by crossing the streams again? You know, the new thing was what? The big trap? Oh. Yeah. Okay. Like, what the fuck is that? You know? Like, there were so many other things they could have done. Like, say, if you really were dead set on doing Gozer, 
and doing the terror dogs and all that other shit. Have it play out differently. Have like Egon's plan be to do the big trap and have it fail. And then you have his fucking granddaughter figure out how to beat Gozer all like not all on her own, but you know what I mean? Like have her go, Oh no, we need to do this and beats Gozer. Yeah. Because of something yeah. she brought to it. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like change it up. Like don't like your change up can't be a big trap. <laughs> like that's not a change up. A gunner seat on the fucking Ecto one's a change up. You already took, like you said, Jaston, one of the most iconic vehicles in movie history and somehow made it more badass? Cool! Mm. Yeah. You gave it a remote control fucking trap? Awesome. But to beat yeah. Gozer, 20 traps in the ground. Okay. Like, you know. Well, it's also with that, with that chasing, too similar to what you were saying like it was just the more it felt like a more organic like scene where it was just like like you said it was like they are figuring out what's going on and they are you know it it didn't feel as forced with what they wanted to show you and try and do it like it didn't feel as forced with the let me you know bombard you with the references to the first like it, it gives you that a little bit but it kind of lets you, it lets it find its own way with these new people who are involved. And it just felt like a more natural, organic way to involve them in the whole Ghostbusters situation. So I think that's why it works so well. Oh my God. I just figured out how you saved this movie. So if you include the scene earlier that we talked about of having Finn Wolfhard help fix the proton pack. During that scene, you can be like, hey, why do you need this? And call it like, just call it, give it a weird name because it's got a funny shape or whatever. And, you know, let's just call it, I don't know, the pizza chip. Just for fuck's sake. And she goes, well, it does this, this, and this. Because if you don't have that, it would turn the energy into this and that would be a problem. Like that would be unstable or whatever like that. So then you have the fight with Gozer. And they do the big trap and it fails. And they're just like, everybody's like kind of defeated. And like, you know, they're like, what the fuck do we do? And all this other stuff. And then you have the little girl go, wait. And she turns to her brother and goes, remove the pizza chip. And he jumps behind her and pulls it out. And then because of whatever that did, like I said, it changes the energy. And she uses that to blast Gozer. And that's what fucking beats it. Fuck that fixes this movie. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that would have been cool. I mean, it doesn't fix it completely, but it would at least change the end enough to justify, you know, doing shit. Towards just not giving a blowjob to the first movie the whole time. Um, I don't know. What do you guys want to talk about? Because, I mean, we've all kind of been randomly talking to... Yeah. Specifically, does one person have something else they want to say? Well, I also just want to say that I think it, like, something that was funny about it was the whole thing where, you know, the mom is talking about how she just wishes the daughter would get in a little bit of trouble and all this stuff. And then, you know, obviously both of the kids do with destroying half the town. Um, I love how, like, 
I don't even think they got grounded or anything for that. <laughs> like they were, she was just like so mad at them for it. And then like the next day you see them like hanging out with people trying to figure out this whole thing. Like it was just like, what, what kind of discipline is this? Like, you're right. Like as much as I do love like the mom's, I guess maybe dynamic or relationship with the kids as far as like how she communicates with them and whatever, like it feels very realistic, I guess, in a sense to moms, like more in the newer age. But, um, yeah, I was just kind of like, what, what is that? Like, (laughs) I feel like as pissed off as she was about that and as, you know, for what happened, like she didn't even like seem to discipline them really, other than just saying like, you're in trouble. I'm mad at you. Yeah. They could have done some line of like where she turns to the older brother and she's like, no phone for you for a month and then turns to the daughter and goes, no science for you for two months. Right. And the little daughter's like, no, not the science. Right. Exactly. But yeah, it was just literally like, I can't believe you. And then the next day they're just kind of right back to it (laughs) with no, no issues. Um, But I do, I do want to just say like, I really did. I know we've talked about how much McKenna Grace is great in this. Like, man, every time she did one of those like terrible jokes, it was amazing. (laughs) Like The delivery of that was just so, especially the one when like she's talking to Paul Rudd's character and she does like the wink after she does the geometry joke or whatever it was. Or what did she do? The obtuse Uh, one. That was my, yeah, that was my, that one. one. I was like, I was the only one in the theater that laughed. I mean, yeah. there wasn't there wasn't a many of us in there, but I was the only one that laughed, and I was like, "Oh man!" It was the delivery, that. like yeah. the delivery of that was so funny. It works because it feels like an Egon joke. Yeah, exactly. Like she like, tells she it like Egon would tell a joke. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it was it was really good. Did anybody else's theater like clap when the original Ghostbusters came back? Fuck off! I hadn't even got to that shit yet. <laughs> I I was like, okay, like I get it, but like literally and it wasn't like a ton of people in my theater, maybe like 15, 20 people. Um, maybe that's a lot, I don't know. But they were, you know, they were clapping at like, you know, of course the return of the Ghostbusters, and I was like, All right, guys, let's all calm down. <laughs> but, you know, it but I, I do I do say I really did actually appreciate the whole like tribute to Egon or um, uh, Harold Ramis. I I did appreciate that. I thought that was a really cool way to kind of incorporate him into this storyline still. Um, Although I do just think it, it, it did feel like the tension and the issues between them caused apparently by Egon still didn't really get resolved at the end. Like, again, there's just kind of this real underwhelming lack of character development for most people like you get a little bit of the you know we're going to come together and all this stuff but you just it it wasn't even discussed there was no mention of it it was just like they see you know they see Egon's ghost and they're just like okay you're with us that's cool like there was really no resolution about anything like anything that went down between them for all these years or whatever so it was just kind of I think a lot of it was more it was just underwhelming how things resolved or how even how things sort of came to be in this movie, a lot of it was just kind of underwhelming, if that makes sense. 
But at the same time, like the parts they did well, they did really well. Like you were talking about with the car chase and the, you know, the car and just all of that was so well done. Um, and again, like we said, like Paul Rudd, anytime he was kind of doing a scene, it was usually really good. Like even his date with the mom was passable. <laughs> like it, it was believable. It was good. They had a good connection and, you know, he did his subtle joking and like all these things. Like it, it just, it was just one of those, like if they had done the level of like the scene with, yeah, like the scene with either, um, McKenna Grace, you know, learning more about her grandfather or the scene with the car chase. Like if they had put that effort into the entire movie, this could have been in- entirely different, you know? Well, it's like when they're doing this stuff, like when Paul Rudd was being a fanboy, it was great because like, and somebody, yeah, I saw somebody um, post something yeah, on Facebook. I, about I it. agree with that. Like, I just wish that she had had something more to do. If she was trying to do something other than just, I'm mad at my, I'm mad at my dad. But yeah, and as far as the date, I really liked it. And I thought that Paul Rudd and, you know, her, they meshed well together. I just wish that the character was doing something beyond hating on her dad, whether it was trying to learn something to get closer to a daughter or trying to discover something herself mm-hmm. about her dad or maybe if Paul Rudd had kind of convinced her to do a little more digging into who he was and different things like that I don't know I it needed I wish she was just doing something beyond even if it was just she was out there uh trying to get a job or setting up something so she could sell stuff in the house something <laughs> trying to make some money you know True. normally the the parent character is doing something she's going to work she's volunteering somewhere she's doing something that has to do with being motherly i don't know like like this character was so quippy and um and and yeah she meshed well with paul rudd and i I didn't dislike any of those scenes where whenever she was talking like yeah she was real quippy and she sometimes had some funny lines and stuff like that but it felt like there was nothing for this character to do but just be in some scenes and then at the end uh forgive Egon. That that's what it seemed like, you know, just throughout the film. So it's just unfortunate for her because I feel the same way as you guys. She was she was good. Like she had potential to be a better character. I just wish the writing had served her a little bit more than what it did, you know. Yeah. And also, I'm really kind of disappointed in, like, they did the whole thing where Mr. Gruberson was, you know, working with the kids on figuring out the ghost trap, and they, like, totally figured it out or whatever and, like, released his ghost. And that was the end of it. Like, it it was almost like that never happened after that scene. <laughs> like, they never bring it up. Like, the teachers never kind of, like, let's refigure this out. Like, what are we going to do about this? And like, I'm so fascinated by this still, like, let's 
let's talk about it after class or something like none of that ever, you know, transpired after that moment uh, when they're trying to open the ghost trap. It it was almost like it happened. And then it doesn't matter after that. (laughs) Like it it just led to nothing, which was kind of weird. Well, yeah. Like why wasn't he fanboying out whenever like they were using a proton pack down the street? Right. Like, why the fuck wasn't he like, hey, where's this proton pack at? Like, I want to try it on. Yeah. Like, why weren't yeah. they doing that? Like, it's just one of those things, too, with this. Like, it's... Like, so much of this Him movie... Him being a fanboy is, like, a good concept in this movie. Yeah. And they should have done that more. Even, the- like, your grandfather was Egon. Like, anything like that, you know? Yeah. They should have focused on that aspect more, but, like... He fanboys out for a little bit about the trap and shit, and then doesn't fanboy out about any of the other crazy-ass Ghostbuster Mm -hmm. shit happening? Like, come on. (laughs) Right. Like, why wasn't he over there, like, fucking every day, like, going through Ghostbuster shit? You know, like, trying to, like, under the guise of, like, hey, I'll help you, you know, teach you about all this shit. But also, like, why is it still a thing in this universe that ghosts don't exist? You're telling me that there wasn't a news camera that caught the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man? <laughs> yeah. There wasn't <laughs> a news camera that caught them walking the Statue of Liberty to the museum? <laughs> There's just no camera footage at all of this shit? Ever? Yeah. <laughs> like, why do that people still think like ghosts don't exist? Yeah, I didn't get that either. You know, like uh, the, the, there should have been some sort of ghostly something manipulating the people or something like uh, it, that didn't make any sense to me either. Like, why would you how could you forget all of that? How could you forget this? The, the giant building size state of marshmallow man, man, there would be anniversaries. That would be an anniversary event every year that people talk about. Like that would yeah. be. Yeah, like, like that would be like any number of events that have occurred in the U.S. That would be something discussed every single year. That would be in schools. Like that would be taught. Like that. That's what that would be if it was. Yeah. If that had happened like nowadays, that's what it would be. And then on top of that, like, all right, if you want to go based on the excuse they have in the second movie as to why people that people still think nerve gas cause people to hallucinate whatever they walked the statue of liberty into new york city and you're telling <laughs> me nobody caught that again like come on like especially with her being a science nerd and all this shit and like youtube and shit like you know you can find the first ghostbusters commercial but you can't find a video from like you know nbc <laughs> news of them walking the statue of liberty through new york city Really? Just nothing? Like, that's not a thing? Like, come on. You right. know? Like, it's just, it's it's ridiculous that in this universe that nobody remembers that shit. Like, I maybe understand them not really remembering the Ghostbusters, per se, because they broke up. But, like, the whole idea of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man and the Statue of Liberty is just nothing? Like, also, why didn't he say that when he's like, you know, the Ghostbusters? And the kids are like, what? And they're like, you know, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man shit? 
you know, when the Marshmallow Man attacked New right. York City. Just why yeah. didn't he reference that then? Why, why why does nobody reference the gigantic Marshmallow Man? <laughs> like it's just <laughs> insane. You know, like, yeah. Nobody references that shit. Like they're just like nope. <laughs> And like that company would, and that company would have had to have rebranded. I mean, once that marshmallow ran through the city and crushed buildings and people and stuff like that, you probably would have had to have rebranded. They would have went out of business, Justin. (laughs) (laughs) There would be no Stay Puft marshmallows ever again because nobody would buy that shit. Because you know there would be some conspiracy theory that they were. A devil marshmallow company, and they accidentally summoned the devil into their marshmallows, and that's what really <laughs> attacked the city. You know that shit would yeah. have adjusted. They would have been out of business. Yeah. But no, they've just got a whole aisle at Walmart of Stay Puff marshmallows. Yep. <laughs> oh, man. Like, come on. They were making fucking toys out of this shit in the 80s because it's movies. You're telling me that in real life, somebody in New York City didn't see Ecto-1 and go, you know what? We need to make a toy of that motherfucker. I know, because they were heroes. They were like national heroes. I mean, all that, the whole city was watching them in the first movie when they went to go face Gozer. The city was there. There was a big earthquake and the street opened up and they fell through and climbed back up and everybody was cheering for the Ghostbusters and then when they took care of Gozer, it was like a citywide celebration. You would have thought they won. You would have thought the Knicks won the NBA championship. <laughs> and we just forgot about it. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, it's just utter insanity. Yep. Like I said, the first, like in the second movie, they've got the plausible explanation of, well, the city just blamed them for all the damage and sued them into oblivion. So you kind of have that like excuse. It's just it doesn't work a second time. Like when they save New York again with the, the fucking Statue of Liberty. I can't stress that enough. They walked the Statue of Liberty into fucking New York. It <laughs> <laughs> just no one remembers it. No one. Just no one remembers it. Like, you know. Like, nobody talks about the time, you know, the Statue of Liberty walked. Get the (laughs) fuck out of here. Like, it was 1989. (laughs) And just nobody mentions it ever again. It's like, I don't believe in ghosts. And they're like, well, what about the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man and the Statue of Liberty? And they're like, we don't talk about that around here. I don't believe no ghosts. Like, what the fuck is this? Like, I liked some of the explanations that after they did that stuff, that ghosts kind of stopped appearing. Like, I kind of liked that idea that the ghosts were drawn to these forces and stuff like that. But then, like, why isn't this town in Oklahoma just being ransacked by ghosts? Because it's also got a Gozer temple in it. Like, there should just still be ghosts. Like, just nobody cares about fucking, like, earthquakes come on they say in the movie it's like they're happening once a week or once a day or some shit and just everybody's just like yeah you know oklahoma 
home of the daily earthquakes. <laughs> like, get the fuck out of here with that shit. And you had a chance to do a couple of things different. It was just like when podcasts didn't podcast say, oh, there's more dead people under these mines than there are alive. I was expecting some of that to come back. Yes, Justin. You were absolutely right, Justin. They set up for a cool fucking thing and they did not deliver with it all. When they were talking about that would have been sick. There's more people in the cemeteries there than there are people living there. That is a fucking great thing. Mm, that is yeah. setting Why up they... fucking an army of ghosts. Yeah. Why didn't that happen, bro? And then, like, whenever the original Ghostbusters come back and everything, you could have had the, uh, everybody spraying down, you know, photon packing down an army of ghosts. I mean, and this is a slight spoiler, Justin, for you. It's they do something kind of similar to that in the 2016 Ghostbusters, where there's like kind of an army of ghosts at one point. And honestly, that's one of the best scenes in that movie. And I'm like, well, if you're going to ape shit from these other fucking Ghostbusters movies, fucking do that in this one too. Who gives a shit? Like, you set it up perfectly. Fucking do it. You know? Yeah. What if they did all that shit and they're like, man, we beat Gozer. And you want a hint towards a sequel? You want a solid hint towards a sequel? They're like, man, we beat Gozer. And then they just look across the field and you see army of ghosts walking their way. And then you hear the Ghostbusters theme song. That'd be tight. Yeah. And that sets up Ghostbusters 4. So fucking cool. You know, like something like they have these. That's the thing is this movie. Once again, just like another movie we recently talked about. It's just a movie of wasted fucking potential. What movie was that? I don't remember. Eternals? Yeah, this is a lot like Eternals. It's just wasted potential left and right. You know? They they just sacrifice stuff for just no... Just some weird-ass reasons. I mean, I will say this. The, the McKenna Grace storyline is at least interesting because, you know, she kind of feels alienated because she's the only one like herself and her family and her schools and all this other stuff. Just to come to find out that she was just like her granddad. And, you know, that she's not really alone because her granddad had fan- friends. He had a family. Like, it is possible to still have these things and be who you are and all this stuff. So that's a, like a really nice little story arc. But that's the only fucking story arc we get in the whole goddamn movie when it comes to characters. Yeah. It really is. Everybody else just kind of goes from. You know, I've, there was the car wasn't fixed, so I fixed it. Or I was mad at my dad, and now I'm not. Or, um, you know, I was a teacher, and now I'm a dog. <laughs> now I'm a dog. <laughs> yeah, man. Like we were, that's the arts for people. We were mad at Egon. Now we're now not. I am the girlfriend, and now yeah. I'm a dog. You forgot that for her too. Now I'm a dog. And now I'm a dog. <laughs> she dogs. <laughs> Yeah, you forgot that over the mom the too. And- you forgot the mom because she was like she's mad at her dad. Now she's not mad at her dad. Now she's a dog. Now she's not a dog. Yeah, like that was. Her- that Why was- is there three separate storylines in this movie that involve characters becoming dogs as their character story arcs? 
But like, and then for the rest of the Ghostbusters, we were mad at Egon. Now we're not. That's their story arc. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why yeah. is every character in this movie have yeah. a one sentence story arc? I <laughs> know. Uh, that's what it is. This movie is two hours and 20 minutes long, and 99% of the characters have one sentence story arcs. How the fuck does that happen? (laughs) (laughs) And it's not like they weren't in the movie for more than, like, that. You know what I mean? Like, they're in the movie a substantial amount. Just like, what the fuck is this? Like, that's just, that's the story arcs for so much of this movie, and it's just like, why? Like, and, and uh, I know why. It's because they had to reference the first movie. Why is Evo Shandor's fucking story arc in this movie? I was in a coffin, then I was dead. <laughs> you can do it with every character. You can do it with what? Stay Puff Marshmallow Man number five. I was a marshmallow, now I'm alive, and now I'm in a blender. Just so much of this movie is like one sentence. Yeah, or like Finn's girlfriend, you know, I'm not the girlfriend and I am. Just, and then I'm a dog. You have to remember that I'm a dog. Oh yeah, and then I'm a dog. And then like even if you look at the background like the sad thing is is the background characters also have one sentence story arcs. Where it's like the police sheriff, which is the girlfriend's dad is I'm the sheriff. I'm the girlfriend's dad. That's his story arc. It's one sentence also. You look at the cooks at the thing. I was mean to him. Now he's cool. Or I was mean to the brother. And now I'm cool with the brother. That's their story arcs. Every character in this movie has a one sentence story arc with the exception of the granddaughter. Even Egon does. I, I pissed everybody off and I moved out here. I made some traps. Now I'm dead. Now I'm a ghost. Like, it's just, uh, now they say that he's got slightly more words than anybody else. So I guess he's the second most important character in this movie. You know, (laughs) when he's in it for two minutes. I just don't get this. It just, it's so much of it's wasted to me. And it's, it's, it hits me even harder because of how much I love the Ghostbusters. And it's just this, like, I know, Justin, you were talking about so many people hated on the 2016 one, so you never actually ended up watching it. I do feel like it has slightly more redeeming value than this movie. Like, I really do. Like, I need to watch it. There's some cool concepts. Like I said, I don't connect with the humor, but as far as some of the concepts go, it really kind of works at times, you know? Whereas this movie... I guess I connect with the humor a little bit because it's just traditional Ghostbusters humor, but like I don't connect with the plot of the movie. I don't connect with it just being fan service. Like, once Mm -hmm. again, it goes back to what we've talked about with other movies before, like Mortal Kombat and some of these other movies. There was another movie we recently talked about where they just get so hyped in fan service. Oh, it was Venom 2. We talked about it too, also. Um, where it's just, you know, people want to be like, well, what else do you expect? I don't know. 
actual fucking movie? Like, yeah, not just bullshit that references something else. Like maybe that that'd be great. You know, like things or, or like just that. some characters with arcs, like good yeah, arcs. You know, kind of like what <laughs> stories are supposed to have. <laughs> you know, go for an actual three act structure instead of going act one, act two, act three of another movie. How about you do act three of your own goddamn movie? How about that? Like, I don't feel like we're asking too much. Like, you know, just like I said, don't have your third act be another movie's third act. That's not the craziest idea in the world. I didn't think that that was something that had to be said. I thought that that was kind of understand, like, stood about stories. Don't have your third act be another story's third act. Apparently nobody fucking told Jason Reitman about it, though. Yeah. And the thing is, is that I think most people, or I can't say most, but I know that a lot of people are just going to kind of forgive it because of the Egon stuff. I I just think that people are going to be like, oh man, I felt that, and they're just going to kind of overlook a lot of those other things yeah they'll excuse it because that moment is designed to make you feel something and then you see the original ghostbusters and then you know you'll be like yeah they they came back and i just feel like people will overlook a lot of those things and that's also kind of my fear for spider-man is that it'll be similar to this. Like, it'll get to the end, and you'll get a lot of fan service and nostalgia, and I wonder if it will do a similar thing, where a lot of people would just overlook that and say, I got what I wanted, you know? Yeah, I got a Spider-Verse live-action movie. That's all I wanted. Not caring that it's nothing with it. You know, it's, it's, it's Mortal Kombat all over again. Like... Oh, I, yeah. got, I got violent I, fight scenes. What else could you want? I don't know. The video games have a story. How about this movie have one? That'd be cool. Exactly. And I'm already kind of seeing that with this Ghostbusters movie. Like, I've seen a lot of people, like, post or tweet just about what they thought of it. And, I mean, I'm hearing a lot of the same things. Oh, it was perfect. It was everything I wanted. It was everything... I needed it to be. It got me in the feels. I laughed and then I cried at the end. You know, a lot of people are saying the same things that that they just really felt that last scene and it just really got them in the feels. And I know and and I can just see the writing on the wall. Like I know a lot of people are just going to get there and go. "It, it, It was great because of that. And that's it. Well, you know, it's mainly because a lot of people don't want to admit that all they want is the first movie again. <laughs> so of course they got what they wanted because it's the first movie yeah. again. Like, yep, that's all they wanted. Yeah, they just want another Ghostbusters, just like the first movie, with the cast of the first mm-hmm. movie. Because, like I said, the 2016 one kind of does the same thing where it, it loses its identity because it has to, you know, really, you know, go. Yeah, but we're Ghostbusters. So remember the other shit. And that's the thing, is it kind of loses its identity. This movie has no identity because of that. Because all it is is just a reference. 
Oh, anyway, you guys have any more thoughts about this? Well, uh, the last thing I'll ask is, what was y'all's impressions of the uh, ending credit scene? Oh, that's fair. Um, and all of that. The Venkman one was just kind of dumb. I mean, it was nice to see Sigourney Weaver again. That's great. You know, but yeah, it was just dumb. And then, yeah, like, yeah, I mean, it was it was just to show Sigourney Weaver, and you know, for a mid credit sequence, whatever, that's fine. You can do that type of stuff for a mid credit sequence. It just ultimately still mm-hmm. doesn't matter because she still had the they same, did the story same thing in the in the 2016 movie. They did the exact same thing with her. Yeah, yeah, she shows up like that. Mm. It's but in this, uh, okay. it's sad that she has the same story arc that everybody else has. Like. You know, I'm still my character, and I'm flipping cards. One sentence story arc. <laughs> I mean, and then the last one, the last one I think even throws more wrenches into the whole storyline. Because they throw in a deleted scene from the first movie, which shows Egon and, 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 and Janine maybe possibly having a romantic relationship, or leaning towards that direction. They show that. That's a scene they cut out of the first movie. And this scene, when you put it back in, even solidifies that more, which makes things make even less sense. And then it's just like Winston talking about how he's made a lot of money, which cool for him, but that was a weird way for him to diatribe about it. Just for him to have the scene where he talks about fixing, fixing up Ecto-1 at the end. You know, or like showing that he's got the Ecto-1 back, so he's going to fix her up. Like, there was a weird way to, like, a weird long way around to get to that. Yeah, because he, like, flexed, and then they showed the firehouse, which earlier, um, you know, Ackroyd said it was turned into a Starbucks. Yeah. But now, but now it, it's, it's now there. It's, now it's built, like, they. so they tore down the firehouse, they built the Starbucks, tore down the Starbucks, and then rebuilt the firehouse <laughs> in just terrible condition. This movie yeah, doesn't like, even keep track of its own shit. I know, like, so I was sitting there going, wait, was this, is this a Starbucks, or did we restore this, or was it, they was rest- that a lie? They restored like, it into <laughs> condemned condition. Yeah, well, I was then looking like, oh, condemned and stuff, like, and so then I was like, uh, what was the Starbucks bit for, was that a lie? had he heard that and that just been wrong like i was so confused <laughs> i mean exactly it's just it's 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 fan service they wanted the scene of ecto one pulling into the firehouse you know and winston because he yeah. talked about fixing her up and all this shit so oh look he's got her he's gonna fix her up and shit like they wanted that fan service bullshit like yeah they i said- was a starbucks and now i'm not <laughs> Like they said, they, they they literally said with that scene, "Fuck what we said earlier in the movie." Here's some fan service, and people eat Here's that shit up. Service, and they eat it up because they're like, yeah. "Oh my god, Ecto One in the firehouse!" Not remembering they fucking negated their own plot line in the fucking movie with Ray talking about how they fucking got dissolved. <laughs> you know, this movie doesn't even care. Man. That's the thing. That's the problem. Is it doesn't care about telling its own story because it negates its own fucking story in the fucking movie. But it's perfect. Fuck it is. Yeah, 
it's almost ironic because um it isn't one of the lines earlier in the movie was um somebody was asking uh you know did 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 you inherit if someone's asking the mom did you inherit anything worth anything from egon and oh the mom was the mom janine that and she said yeah debt yeah, that's what she said. It was something like, well, uh, and then there was there was a line there about like, yeah, it's it's it, it's absolutely worthless unless you consider the but when you consider the sentimental value, there was some kind of line there like, yeah, this is absolutely worthless, but when you consider the sentimental value, it's worth something. And was that it being self-aware? Like, does this movie realize that that's what it is? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe if you take out the sentimentalism <laughs> for Ghostbusters, it's worthless. Like, doesn't that ironically kind of sum up this movie oh, they, in, a, in a lot of ways? No, you're right. They burn themselves it in this does. movie. Heather, what are your thoughts about the end credits? You didn't say. Yeah, no, it, I mean, I, I kind of agree. Like, I, I think it, they, they weren't necessarily, I guess maybe they were kind of out of place because I don't really feel like they necessarily, um, added anything, but I mean, it's always good to see additional scenes with Ernie Hudson and, you know, Sigourney Weaver. So like, it was just, it was fine, but for me, it didn't really hype me up for anything regarding the movies or if they were going to make future ones or anything like that. Um, but it was like, I mean, it almost feels like it should have been a scene like before the the end credits, just because like, I don't know, like that was like Ernie Hudson was really good in that scene, you know, like just even though it was like a weird flex or whatever that he did, <laughs> but it was like, you know, that's also the most screen time that he got in the entire movie was the end credits. So I don't know. It was, it was just, it was it was kind of nothingness to me, but um, but yeah, I mean the one with Sigourney Weaver, it was just kind of like oh that's that's fun and nice to see that they're still together and still kind of being the same people and whatever. But yeah, again, no character arc, nothing really. But <laughs> it, it was just kind of nothingness to me, like most of the story plot lines here. <laughs> And then you wonder, is it trying to set up a sequel? Like, what would the yeah, sequel even clear. be, though? Right. Yeah. The kids are going to New York to be Ghostbusters. Yeah, are they going to go to New York? That's what I was and saying. Also, I was maybe, gonna... <laughs> maybe this was mentioned, or I don't know if we vaguely talked about it. Maybe I forgot, like, in the movie. But they don't really even talk about or ask anything about the grandma, right? Like, oh, it's no. not even mentioned, like, they don't mention, the grandma and grandpa, this is, yeah. They don't mention the mother at all. Right. And I think that's kind yeah. of odd, because it's like, you know, if the grandfather's already not in the picture and, like, ran out on them and whatever, like, you just feel like something about the grandmother would have come up with that, and I thought that was interesting, but, yeah. Yeah, because I want to know who Egon yeah. fucked. I am very right, much like invested in that. They don't even discuss it. It's almost like a do not even bring it up kind of vibe about it, you know? Yeah. Good point. Yeah. No, that's that's legit. Once again, just 
not giving a fuck. Ugh, I'm tired of caring about shit and the fucking people doing it don't. Didn't you say you had a question for us at the end or something? I do. So, earlier this week, Ridley Scott, you know, director of the Alien movie, and didn't he, yeah, he directed the first Alien, or was that his brother? I get him confused sometimes, but he directed uh, uh, Gladiator, and you know, he's a famous director and whatnot, you know, he's done the other Alien, Prometheus movie, whatever, and all that shit, yeah, so he directed Alien. Um, He came out this week and said that... Uh, the reason why the last duel, which he did, uh, with, you know, Matt Damon and Adam Driver and Ben Affleck, the reason why it did poorly at the box office, uh, is because millennials, oh, millennials just look at their phones when they go to the movies. And that's why his movie did poorly at the box office. I just want to know what y'all's thoughts are about that. Cause it just sounds utterly <laughs> bad shit to me. What does that even mean? Like, that would mean that all movies <laughs> in this generation are bad I mean, to but, them, or that yeah. nobody goes to see any of them ever. But that would also imply that they bought a ticket to your movie then, bro. Like, if they're on their phones right. the whole movie, they that's, still bought a ticket. Like, <laughs> that's yeah, what I'm saying. Like, yeah, they how, bought a ticket. How does Avengers I mean, Endgame <laughs> hit, like, what, $2.75 billion because people are looking at their phones? What? What does that mean? <laughs> I just thought it was a funny lost. old man director from Mudgeny quote. You know, like it, yeah. Yeah. It's just it's, one of those it's things. interesting. Cause like <laughs> also like and I will say it is kind of a shame because that's from what I've heard, that's actually a really good movie. And I actually wanted to see it and I haven't, but also that was Halloween right around Halloween time. And there were, I think there were some just other big hitters that came out around that time. I can't remember what, but I just feel like there was, was that when, that wasn't when Dune came out, was it? It was when Dune came out or Halloween or something. No, just any of those. Dune came out like that same week. Yeah. And so it was just like, there were just some other big hitters that came out around the same time that just took precedence. And also because in general, people aren't going to the movies as much right now. And so if they're going to go, they're going to go for the big hitters, you know, and it is unfortunate. Like I'm sure the last duel is probably a, a good movie and it's probably better than, well, it's probably definitely better than Halloween was, but you know, it, it's just like, it's just the luck of the draw as far as like, there were other movies that came out that were bigger and it just, it's unfortunate, but that's just what it was. It has nothing to do with like, yeah, it it is like an old, you know, grumpy person thing to say just because they're upset that their movie didn't do well. Kind of like whoever, who was it else recently that said something similar to blame, like their numbers being down on something else. I can't remember what it was. All kinds of shit. They fucking, they, they'll blame everything but themselves. um, Christopher Nolan? Was it him? Maybe? Oh well Christopher Nolan was just talking shit about how HBO is terrible because they're putting shit on streaming during a pandemic. Like a bunch of assholes. <laughs> like get the fuck over it. <laughs> and I also think that it suffered from like the last duel was I mean, I guess it was somewhat promoted and you saw the trailer for it a little bit, 
But I don't really think that there was a lot of word out about that movie in general. It's it's like a 150 or 200 million dollar medieval period piece. <laughs> yeah. Like who the fuck's going to watch that? Like as a priority. I've got I want to see yeah. the movie too. Yeah. But it's one of those things that's like we're still in a pandemic, so I try not to go to the theaters unless I have to go to the theaters to see a movie. As much as I love going to the theaters. If I can watch it at home, I just would rather do that right now because it's still a fucking thing going on. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's a movie that should have just gone to Netflix, bro. Like I would have watched it. <laughs> Yeah, because like I'm actually looking now, and Halloween Kills came out the same day, and Halloween Kills was also on streaming. You know, yeah. And um, Dune came out on the 22nd, and so basically that week of when people would go to see that is when those two big hitters came out. Yeah, and and it's you know some of the times we do at least like I sometimes we do have to prioritize what movies we're going to do for the podcast because. You know, like we do right. do some movies that are very like low visibility movies just because we're very interested in the idea and stuff like that. But at the same time, like, you know, I'm not going to do some, fu- we're not going to do some fucking indie film if a Marvel movie comes out the same week. We might do the indie film as a bonus, but you know, we're going to do the fucking Marvel movie. We're going to do the, <laughs> we're going to do episodes or we try to do episodes that will have the most people having seen the movie. You Even know? if it is Ben Affleck. <laughs> yeah. As much as I love my boy Ben. And it's just in Adam Driver. Love Adam Driver. It's just that's a movie that I'm like, no, I'll fucking wait till it's on Netflix or Amazon or something. I'll watch it then. I don't need to see this movie in the theater. And I, that's not necessarily a bad thing against a movie. You know, I know most movies want to come out in theaters before they go to video. I get that. It's just sometimes with streaming now, nah, I just would rather wait till it's on streaming and I'll watch it then. That's fine. It's not a bad thing. It's just sometimes how it is. That's just the reality, you know? Right. And like I said, it's just, why do these directors like, it's just, who was that movie marketed towards? Like, th- does that movie not feel kind of like an indie film type of thing? Like, it feels like something like The Green Knight. I'm not saying plot-wise, but I'm saying it would have the same audience as The Green Knight. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And you don't hear fucking A24 complaining that they, you know, barely covered their budget with those movies because they know what their audience is. Like, they know who they're fucking targeting with their movies. You know? So when they put it in theaters, they know exactly pretty much how much money they're going to get because they know who they're targeting. Like, mm-hmm. was Ridley Scott thinking that this was going to be a $1.5 billion fucking medieval period piece that wasn't based on a fantasy book? Like, you know, <laughs> I would get it if it was like a Lord of the Rings book and they're, you know, moving, they were pissed about it. I get that. You think you're just, you know, nerd fan base would get you enough. It's just, who was this for? That's true. You know? Like, you're not even targeting millennials with this movie. And also, you don't even know what a millennial is. Because he's really much, he's really much, he's talking about Gen Z. That's what they're really talking about so many times when they're like, oh, those millennials. 
Like you're talking about Gen Z. <laughs> like millennials are in their thirties. You actually have a better shot of us seeing this movie than somebody that's eighteen. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know, like and plus, like I'm thirty. I'm not like if I go see a movie in the theater, I'm not going to be looking at my phone unless you're really done fucked up. Like I know I've done that at home. I know I've done that at home when I'm watching a movie, like when I'm streaming a movie or something and I'm bored. So I just get on my phone out of habit because I'm lying there at home, but I don't do that at a movie theater. You know, mainly also I don't want to get popcorn residue on my phone. Yeah. And he's like, they're on their phones. I mean, a lot of people do try to follow the protocols of silencing your phone and trying to keep it down. You know, like I don't, I don't just see people just checking it constantly or just yeah. lights, phone lights, just on the whole damn time. Right. Like who does that? You might see one or two people and even then they might do it for a little bit or whatever, you know, and every now and then you get that person who just takes a call. I hate that. I hate when that happens. But it doesn't happen often. These are seldom occurrences. You know, every now and then I might, oh, somebody buzzed me. Who was it? Oh, okay, I'll call them later. I'll See, get them later, whatever. You know, and that's it. Do you, you know? do the thing where I do where you just hit the side button to, to just so your home screen, or not your home, but like, so you can just see what notifications you have? Like, you'll feel something on your yeah. watch, so you press the side yeah. button and you go, oh, okay, I'll just text them later. It's, it's mainly out of a habit yeah. of what if somebody like I missed a call and like, say it's like I'm at a movie on a Saturday and like, say I missed a call from my dad. Well, like if my dad's just randomly calling me, he's probably calling to tell me somebody died. So maybe I need to know he called or something. You know what I mean? Like, or yeah, or if like you just check real quick to be like, Oh man, they might've called me five times real quick. Maybe it's an emergency. It's just that habit or that in the back of my mind. So if I know I got a notification, I just check to see what it is. To make sure it's not something I need to worry about. If it's just a text message from a random motherfucker, I don't answer my. You know what I mean? I'll just like, oh, I'll do it after the movie. You know, it's yeah. just that to same see. thing. Yeah, and that's not that bright when you do that. It's fairly dim. Yeah, and I'll even dim my light all the way down. You know, oh, I'll yeah. dim it down to where it's not all bright and shit. Like. Uh, and, and I mean, uh, you know, like those are just a few occurrences. Like, who's just on their phone the whole time? Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, like I followed the protocol so much, I put my phone or my my watch, my Apple Watch, in cinematic mode or or theater mode. Which means that you know how, like, technically, if you have an Apple Watch, if you move your wrist up, it detects the motion and lights up the screen because it thinks you're checking on the time. But if you're in a movie theater, you might be eating popcorn or something. It's not the best thing in the world for your watch to light up every fucking five seconds when you're just eating popcorn. You could put it in theater mode to where it won't do it unless you tap the screen. It won't light up. I even yeah. do that. And, and speaking sure. of that, now that you mentioned that, a lot of phones even have like a do not disturb mode that props yeah. up whenever you are in the movie theater at a certain time. If it knows, because like when I order a ticket, it goes to my calendar, goes to, I get an email reminder. It allows me to add to my iPhone wallet or whatever. I can add the ticket scanner to my wallet. So when I walk up, I can scan it. 
And when I sit down and the movie's about to start, an option will pop up and say, hey, you're in a movie right now because it was this time to this time. Do you want to go into do not disturb mode? And sometimes I do that too. So like he doesn't, he just really does not understand like how even movie friendly your phones actually are and appliances actually are like now phones are aware you're when you're in a movie, you know, even to that extent. Well, just in general, it just shows how out of touch with the fucking world that some of these people that have been in the industry for so long are. Yeah. He just has no concept of what people are anymore. Like he's like, my, my movie did bad millennials on phones. Okay. <laughs> okay. You know, the number one demographic that everybody targets, because we're what, 18 to 49? You know, number one demographic that everybody wants for any sort of entertainment. But yeah, it's our fault. Yeah. Anybody else would just kill for us to fucking do their shit. <laughs> just don't get it. Fucking old people. And then why were you, why would you blame the people? Like, isn't that like just a weird strategy? Why are you alienating your audience? You know, you would think in a, in a medium and a business where the whole point is to attract audience members and try to, um, you know, you're trying to gain audience members. You're trying to get good word of mouth. You're trying to, um, bring people, you know, you're trying to, the, the whole point is to attract audience members. So why would you then turn the lens toward them and say, you're the reason why nobody's coming to watch this? Why would you alienate your audience? It's, what kind of a strategy is that? Dude, it's a 1980s strategy. You know, like when those big, huge bands would just not show up to their concerts. <laughs> it's that type of shit. <laughs> like... <laughs> Oh man, we have a sold out concert of 10,000 people. Let's just not go to it. They'll still be fans of ours. <laughs> it's that mentality. You don't watch my movie, so I'm going to sit on my lawn and yell at you. That'll make you watch my next one. Yep, that'll definitely make you watch my next one. <laughs> Which I think is Gladiator 2. I didn't know that was happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah me neither. It's not going to be the original story idea for Gladiator 2. The original story for Gladiator 2 was Maximus was going to end up being like the god of war. And so he died in this and it would just show him like throughout the ages, like coming back to life and being a part of another war and then dying and coming back to life and going into another war. And they were just going to constantly keep doing that with the Russell Crowe character because, you know, that's the type of thing that people that liked Gladiator want. <laughs> so they're not doing that. Now, you know the little boy in Gladiator that was like the that that woman who was the Emperor's sister, like that son that he has? Yeah. And they allude to the fact that that is Maximus's son? It's going to be about him. Yeah. All grown up. So That makes more mm. sense, actually. Yeah. Infinitely oh, okay. better than the... Oh, he's just the spirit of war constantly fighting. That's just dumb. But, yeah. So, there, that's supposedly the next thing that really Scott's going to do is that. So, I don't know. I might just be on my phone the whole movie. I don't know if I should even buy a ticket. <laughs> 
dumbass. Anyway, all right, you guys got anything else? I just, I heard that today, and I just, I wanted to get y'all's reaction to it. That's all. Nope, I'm done. Oh, I'm good. All right, so on that note, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers Podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com or Facebook, where we're Cinema Slayers Podcast, Twitter and Instagram, where we're Cinema underscore Slayers, or TikTok, where we're Cinema Slayers Pod. Uh, I am, I'm almost down to one month left. Dear God. Just so many of them. I've done 115 of them so far straight, so that's fucking a lot. Uh, yeah, one month left, so almost there. Uh, so check that out. I'd really appreciate it because it's a lot of hard work. It doesn't sound like a lot of hard work, but it really is. Um, so check that out, guys. Uh, give us a five-star rating and review. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, tell your family, tell your friends, tell your friends' family, tell your family's friends, and definitely tell those Dear sweet mothers. Because you know what dear sweet mothers love? An ageless Ernie Hudson. And I get it. <laughs> True. And you get, if you watch Ghostbusters Afterlife, that's one of the good things you get. You get a, a really good McKenna Grace and you get a really ageless Ernie Hudson. And I mean, I and guess. And an ageless Paul Rudd. And an ageless Paul Rudd. You get all three. That is at least a good trifecta for mothers. So you should definitely tell them to check this out and that. So, uh, and as I was in the podcast and as I was in the TikToks, just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner. And fuck Ridley Scott. at least say Bustin' makes me feel good. Come on. <laughs> How does that part go? Bustin' a nut makes me feel good. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah, Nut busters. Okay. Remix. And we're out.